0: Let's get it, everyone. Yeah, you, you already know what it is. TC.
1: What's good, everybody?
0: Let's go. We got we got a special a special host today. Brand new. Introduce yourself.
2: Well, I didn't know I was special, but I'm Niron <laughs> And uh <laughs> this is <laughs> this is a uh, an endeavor for me. Um uh, I'm somebody that loves podcasts, um, I'm somebody that loves literature, I'm somebody that loves politics, mm-hmm. and I think I, I have a penchant for the spoken word, so that's why I'm here, and also to, to learn about, you know, different advocates for the Black community, and different, and different people that come to aid the Black community, whether it be through politics, through mental health, spiritual health, I'm here for it, so uh, I'm grateful to be here.
0: Let's go. Welcome All to right. have you. What's up? Well, not only for the black community, but this, you know, this is gonna bring value to everyone. Um, yeah. so definitely. Um, so you you know, Nairon, what we what we do is we're gonna start an introduction. Um, so okay. introduction, you know, we always talk about our ingredients, you know, and uh health. We know whenever we go to the grocery store, you flip through mm-hmm. that back and you'll be like, Oh, what what's this? Okay, what does this say mm-hmm. and everything? So uh, we're going to get it started. So, I'm going to share my screen, y'all. Okay? We're about so, to have some
1: feelings today.
0: Mm, mm. Ah, man. All right. Sodium benzoate. Now, we know we was going to talk about preservative last, last episode. We said we we're going to talk about preservatives, TC, and now we're talking about it. Sodium benzoate, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now. It is an added preservatives for mm-hmm. soda, packaged food, and personal care. Got it. And, and it extends the shelf life. It's in processed foods. It's also in toothpaste, mouthwash,
1: baby wipes, and so much more. Hold on. You said baby wipes? Yes. Hold on, I'm putting the salt in my ass. Okay, sorry, <laughs> uh, uh, sorry, sorry. I uh, apologize. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> look mm. it up,
0: TC. I'm telling you, look it up, TC. Yes. So now let's break down benzoate. Benzoate is an uh benzoate is an acid, and it's and it's a good preservative, but the sodium is the chemical, the salt mm. that helps to solve the problem. So according to studies, this is not natural. According to studies, this is not natural. I'm looking it up and this is a man this is man-made. Now I want to be clear. Just because it said it is man-made just that does not automatically mean it is bad. Okay. I just want to make that clear. Now, sodium benzoate is an ad- additive. hmm Sodium benzoate also inhibits the growth of harmful bacteria, mold, and other, you know, uh, and other things and like, um, like foods and it deters spoiling. So sodium benzoate is used in medication also the over, you know, the over the counter medicine and the prescription ones. Okay. So it's in tablets that helps break down, you know, when you swallow them. And sodium benzoate, uh, it treats blood to uh, evaded blood vessels of uh, amo- ammonia, Ammonia, okay? So sodium benzoate has health concerns. Uh, this is, this is uh, you know, when you're eating uh, that uh, bacteria. Yeah, okay. So of course you see it on you know the Pepsi. Um it it this is the health concern when you see that sodium benzoate it promotes inflammation according to studies, it promotes cancer development, it causes ADHD if you continuously drink this, and when you are drinking the soda of the beverage. It go it goes to appetite control that that's the exposure of sodium uh benzoate decreases the release of leptin the appetite hormone okay it also causes allergies so since this causes allergies you of course you'll get a reaction to it so um as for you know the medicine the sodium benzoate it helps treat certain conditions, which is to me, honestly, it's kind of a little confusing to me. I like, I don't want to sound like a hypocrite, you know, when I, when I studied this, but it's pretty much like, you know, the medicine, um, it, 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 it's, you know, it, it's a good treatment, but it can cause side effects. Mm -hmm. So, um, the medication, the benefits, uh, is, is the sodium acid. Um, sodium acid I don't have to talk about it you know a lot you feel what I'm saying so these are the stuffs and like I said guys I'm getting this from the you know the internet the sodas the this is where you can find sodium benzoate when you are consuming them okay
1: whoa hold on you got my case, <laughs> you got my KC barbecue sauce on there I mean
0: shoot uh, I didn't put it there I, I didn't put it there, remember. I'm sharing this, this
1: off of the internet. Why are you doing I, I, this? They got guy. mods? What up? You see, they got mods, man. Right. That's that You see smokers? Like, it's in the cut, just look at me like, yo, I ain't that great. I'm okay, but you know. what ADHD? You know, shush.
2: Go well, on honestly, if you look at this stuff objectively, we're not supposed to have any of this anyway, yeah. except for maybe Talk to him. That's facts. That's facts. The lemon juice, though? Mm -hmm. Which one is lemon juice? I can't tell. The lemon. (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) It's a joke.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, um, that's pretty much it. Anything Uh before we get to the sodium phosphate? Mm -hmm.
1: Mm, Nope. All right. Mm.
0: (laughs) So let's get to sodium phosphate, which is, you know, if you see that polymorphous, polyphosphate also, that's the same thing as sodium phosphate. So sodium, we all know what it is.
1: So it's just a different term.
0: Yes. So sodium phosphate is in deli foods, fast foods, meat, processed meat, baked goods, and canned tuna. Sodium phosphate, um, it thickens the food. It it, it cures the meat, the, the meat, products and it keeps the bacon and the deli meat moist so mm. it helps it helps dough rise but keeps water and oil mix it balance pH levels and process food now sodium uh, phosphate <clears throat> uses in food additives and can impact health differently okay. that uh, than a natural phosphate which is ob- which is it observes different than, you know, in the body. Uh, I'm gonna get to trans-sodium phosphate in a minute. Let me just, you know. So the eight effects to sodium phosphate is, you know, the effects of, uh, this is what I looked up. Vomiting, headaches, reducing, urine, bloating, abdominal pain, dizziness, irregular heartbeat. Now the people that should avoid sodium, these are the things that you should avoid sodium if this affects if if this you know if you get this effect mm. so now um it does also slow your bowels heart failure and also allergic reactions
1: you feel what i'm so so, so- my so my question is people who is like diabetic or have a crohn's disease for example they got to be careful of these products basically
0: i i, I agree People like that definitely should be, I agree, definitely those diabetics should, you know, be careful what, What's
2: killing me is that all these cereals we've grown up with and have eaten on a daily basis.
0: Nyron, We're about to get to trans-sodium phosphate. We're um, <laughs> we about to get to trans- I'm telling you. Now, anything for anything before, uh, for sodium phosphate, before we move to it. Another thing is it's in eggs, uh, fish, poultry. None, you good? Uh, Cure meat, anything before we move on to trans sodium phosphate?
2: Um, I got nothing. All right,
0: trans sodium phosphate this is the last one before we get to our guests. So if I ever see this in food ingredients, now Nairon, you could talk. You could talk. You could talk. You could. You could talk. Yo. Your- <laughs> Okay, so well, I'm now sorry, you, I
2: jumped the gun. <laughs> nah, you all, good.
0: <laughs> you all good. But I'm gonna tell you this, right? I've ate some of this when I was young. That's a fact. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cheerios, fruit loops, cinnamon toast crunch, yo.
1: Honeycomb, mm.
0: yo, mm. The cocoa puffs, yo. The trans sodium phosphate. Yo, I'ma tell you it's supposed to be a cleaning product. Really? Look it up. I'm telling you. Wow. Yeah, transodium phosphate is supposed to be a cleaning product. Look it up. You could look so it up right you're now. You telling
1: look, me. You could look
0: it up right so now. I just
1: got one thing to say. You telling me I'll be eating my family also <laughs> <for 10 years. laughs> all this time. Okay.
2: Wow.
1: Happy. Wow. You know,
2: uh, reflection, I just think it's nuts that we give children these foods as breakfast and then facts. add sugar on top of it. Facts. Oh,
0: yeah,
1: facts. that's so true. That's it's, so
0: true. It's it's chemical. It's it's the chemical in it. Feel what I'm saying? It's the it's the chemical. It's mm-hmm. the, you know, transodium phosphate is another food adjectives, you know, found in processed food, cereal, cheese, you know, such as uh, you know is the the trans-sodium phosphate causes harm to your health. I'm talking allergies and health problems. So it contains sodium and inorganic phosphate, so which is found in high processed foods. Um, So the ingredients that are used to decrease is the ascetic and improves the texture of food, like Baked goods and added meat, seafood, and so much more. My my question is is like, if trans sodium phosphate is supposed to be like a cleaning product or something like that, then why did you put it in Siri? That's just my question. You feel what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So
2: yeah, yeah.
1: That's
2: because they're out to get us, man. They're out to get us. <laughs> they said they. <laughs> Oh man. Yeah, I just, you know, I I'm I think this was really informative. I'm really absent minded about the things I put in my body. I just think if it tastes delicious, I'm eating it. Mm. But, you know, as I get older, uh things are aching when I play basketball, you know, things are slowing Mm. down. Right. So I, I think I do have to pay more attention. To the things that i eat and how they might have affected me over the years because i mean i'm almost 30 i've been eating these products for as long as i can remember i can only imagine the long-term irreversible damage these types of foods have done to my body already
0: yes yeah absolutely so Mm -hmm. like all right so the thing is right is that like we tend to and I, I'm I'm glad you brought that attention. Like, you know, we don't we don't be conscious of what we are um eating. And we mm. just we just like the taste. And me and TC have said this plenty of times in like almost every episode. We consider taste instead of being conscious of how it affects us. So yep. everything of what I'm like what I t- what we talk about is basic information that you can look up, like you know, just Google it in the search engine and you can just see for yourself what is it, yeah,
2: right? You know, yeah, that's nuts because I just had McDonald's like two hours ago, and I'm off. Hey,
1: like, think about it this way we eat food like we watch a TV show. Facts, we there we you go. Food, we eat food as it's entertainment,
0: there you go. Yes. We,
1: yeah, absolutely. We got to kind of cut that out. <clears throat> We're not saying you can't treat yourself to some ice cream here and there. Facts. But don't make it your lifestyle, just eating fast food and Cheerios and all that stuff all your life. Yes. Because that damage will come for you. Mm-hmm. Every, I, well, I feel like personally, everything is moderation.
2: Hmm. hmm
1: I think that's the key with eating. Because of course it's healthy to eat a celery and a, a string bean 24 hours, but you can get tired of that.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So yes. It's
1: just like, you just got to have, you just got to split it. Like, today, I want some soul food. I want them <laughs> carbs. I want the starches. I want some mac and cheese.
0: Hell yeah. Right. Yes.
1: Right? Yeah. yeah. You know, but is it always good to eat that all the time? No. So you just got to split that apart. That's what
2: I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, what I would say is, it's what's, what's daunting for me is that I could never get tired of eating McDonald's or KFC or Taco Bell. There you go. But I could get tired of, I could get tired of eating the broccoli and the oatmeal and the fruits and vegetables every day. And it's just no, it's just more evidence that they're out to get us. I think that should be the new name of the podcast: they're out to get us
1: because your body is so used to it. Facts. Mm. It's like a lifestyle for your body. So when you don't have that McDouble, you'll be like, damn, hold on. McDouble Tuesdays ain't happening. What's (laughs) What's going on? That's a fact. That's a fact. Like for me, like I I try my best to cut out fast food. I still eat it here and there. My main thing for my dogs is some McNuggets.
2: Oh my goodness, man! Yeah,
1: man. I'll be laying down there night. I'm just like, it's three o'clock in the morning.
2: I was <laughs> me you four
1: pieces real quick.
2: Mm. Yeah, And really? it happened
1: right. many times. <laughs> Talk about it, <laughs> but it's all about how you just you gotta just balance yourself. And if you want to start eating better, I always tell people don't go cold turkey, go slowly. Yeah, as time goes by, it's going to increase. You're going to eat better and
2: better and better and- yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I've I've tried to limit myself to having just one meal. That's all right. I I try to have one fast food day. You try to yeah. I I can't go cold turkey. I try Sunday's supposed to be my fast food day, but even when I have my fast food today, it was I had a large fry, um, a fish fillet with. Um, a double quarter pound with cheese. Large. I wanted everything large. You see what I'm saying? I know my heart is kicking my ass right now. You know, I know my heart hates me. <laughs> a well, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's,
0: it, yeah. it's It's just all about breaking down, you know, of what, what you crave. Like, you know, like, let's say Monday through Friday. Like, you know, what I do. Monday through Friday, you know, eat healthy. And then Saturday and Sunday, I'll go all out. You feel, you feel what i'm saying so yeah, it's, it's all mm-hmm. about that balance of what you yeah. want to do so yeah like mm-hmm. today
1: might be it might be pizza day for me yeah that's my, that's my guilty pleasure but i know absolutely. i can't always keep eating that 24 hours so you just yes. give
2: yourself a day like absolutely you, you gotta live like mm-hmm. today cautious. was that day today was that day and uh
1: man, tomorrow, mcdonald's man man oh. <laughs> You could, you could go to a Shake Shack somewhere.
2: Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I'm loving it. I can get whatever <laughs> I want to make that It's never anything bad. Oh, you could go to a
1: stairway, chicken sandwich and me, Popeye's or least with Cajun. <laughs> f- oh, that's But awesome. <laughs> Oh, man. Right? Back, come back to her, come
2: back. Come back, come back, come back. I, they got us, man. They got us on the hook.
0: They hey, listen. Hook. <laughs> yo, Nairon is funny. He's like, yo, they got us on the hook. I haven't ate McDonald's in years. Years. How? How?
2: You're
1: not, but you're not missing nothing.
2: Honestly. I disagree. You're missing, you're missing a lot. You're missing all the tasty uh, triphosphorus, sodium, carbonates, whatever it was that you just...
1: like. <laughs> you, know you know what McDonald's That's, is? No, McDonald's... not for
0: me. Not for me. I'm good. I'm good.
1: McDonald's I'm is gold. that kind of If you stranded somewhere and you say, Dad, I didn't eat now. All day, McDonald's might be your last resort, but other than that, emergency. I, I, exactly, you know what you emergency get. Emergency purposes. That's it. Thank exactly. Just emergency purposes. Uh, I get, me, I get me chicken real good. Like you know, you get yourself into. Mm. But the keep going back there, I can't do it
2: personally. Yep, I can't. All right. The problem is, I can, and I have to slowly wean myself off of it. You know, yeah. I just go, yeah. I just go into the big fast food industries and just like, take my money. Everything. You know what I
1: mean? It comes down to discipline at the end. Hey, everything. yeah,
0: mm-hmm. absolutely.
1: Mm-hmm. All
0: right. Anything else before we get to our guests
1: um, about advocacy? Oh. That's it for me. What about you,
2: Nana? Uh, No, I, I'm I'm ready to do this podcast. Okay. All
0: right. Let's so get we, it. We ready. Yeah, we ready. We coming. All right, y'all. Let's get it. Gonna talk about advocacy, how to be an advocate. Let's bring our guests over. What is up, everyone? Already know what it is. What's right. good? What's going on? What's going on up, Listen today. We're gonna in this podcast, episode 19. We're going to be talking about advocacy. So this brother right here, I've been knowing him for years. So my brother, please introduce yourself.
3: Hey, everyone. Uh, this is Jahai Rose, uh, Queens resident. Um, and, you know, community advocate, Try my best to do my part in the Southeast Queens area. Nice. Awesome.
0: Jahai Rose, he is an advocate. I'm, I'm telling y'all, like, the, the, he's been an advocate for years for the community and everything. And um, Jahai Rose, we definitely have, me, TC, Nairon, we definitely have a couple of questions for you. And, you know, we know we're going to drop, you're going to drop gems on them um, to, you know, to, you know, give advice to people. How can they be an advocate
2: mm-hmm. uh,
0: for whatever they uh, want to, whatever they support? Uh, so my first question to you is, Jahai Rose, is if someone wants to be an advocate for something that they believe in, and how can they take the actions and the and the education uh, to become an advocate and you can talk about your experience uh, for, you know, your experience to, you know, advocating for the people in the community. Mm-hmm.
3: Um, I would say my first um, experience with advocacy came from high school. Um, I went through three different high schools, right? My first high school was in, cause I didn't go to, I didn't go to school in, in um, Queens. Um, I went to school in Brooklyn. So my first high school was Flatbush, second high school, East New York, third high school bushwick so first two high schools really didn't have much drive to do anything else besides try to get out of high school right Mm -hmm. and you know when you don't have anything specific that you really want to get into sometimes you get into trouble right Mm -hmm. so i got into more trouble in the first two schools that i was in which ultimately led to me getting expelled and put into the third school and the third third school was bushwick outreach and bushwick outreach gave me drive they told me that if I was going to get my education, I needed to use that education to benefit my community. And then they explained to me why. They compared the doctor, the attorney, the dentist that comes from the neighborhood, has some type of buying and investment in the neighborhood, and cares about a neighborhood, different from those that may not, that more see an economic um, economic need to be in that neighborhood, opposed to a need to make that neighborhood better. So. Before leaving that school, I promised I would take my education and use it for something that would benefit my community. My first advocacy opportunity was when 13, no, 32 young people from the school that I went to after I graduated, 32 young people from that school actually were going to a funeral for a young man that got killed and they ended up getting arrested on their way to the funeral, headed to the train station. They call themselves a Bushwick 32. That was the first time I ever had an opportunity to participate in a rally, in a protest. First time I met with individuals that were like-minded, that really said, you know what? The issue at the time was police accountability Mm -hmm. and fighting against police brutality. So that was my first opportunity to say, you know what, I wanna be involved in something. The call was made, let me go out. Now I'm not advocating for anything yet. I'm just getting involved in something because I believed in it. Then I went to York College and in going to York College, this was around the time that Sean Bell was shot um, with the hail of 52, was shot at with a, 50, with a hail of 52 bullets. And then from that point,
2: right.
3: my energy became really fixated on being an advocate pertaining to police and community relations and police accountability.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: The individual that wants to be a part of that discussion, I would encourage them to be a part of the discussion. When you walk into that atmosphere, you have to be able to fight, find individuals that are like-minded individuals that already have an understanding, a stake and what's taking place. And sometimes you just need to sit back and observe what points they're making, what energy they have, how they're coordinating. Because in being an advocate, one thing you're definitely going to need are friends. You need individuals that are like-minded that are going to be able to say, you know what, we believe in this as well. It's easier for you to be able to attack an issue with a significant number of people than for you to try to attack it on your own. So the first piece of advice would be Something that you think about, someone has likely thought about it already, find those individuals, communicate with them, organize with them.
2: Okay. Now, I have a question. Okay. Um, What is your definition of advocacy? Good one. So
3: my direct definition of advocacy is when you want to enhance something that you believe is not up to a level of, um, the level where it needs to be. When you're willing to put your energy behind it, your research behind it, and fight for policies and legislation that's going to be able to then bring it up to the space where it needs to be. Um, There's also a concept of advocacy for social change, which means you're really just changing the mindsets of individuals in a very specific group. But when you put your energy, your time behind that effort to be able to make that change, that makes an individual an advocate. As long as they're outspoken about it, as long as there's action behind it, then that would make you an advocate.
2: Now, somebody that is an advocate for the urban community, is there any unique challenges that advocates for other causes wouldn't normally see? Now,
0: hold on, Niron, Niron, yeah. before uh, you get hyped, Niron get hyped hype right now. But I broke Nairon. up right
2: there. <laughs> yeah, broke up. Little, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> hold on, Niron, You're about to get hyped real quick. All right, let, let's give TC a chance. We're, we're just gonna go in circles. We, we all gonna
3: get a chance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the
1: connection the connection is kind of fuzzy this now. Yes,
3: yeah, 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 so yeah. part of the question started to break up.
1: Yeah. But now I
2: finished finish what you were saying. Okay. Yeah. The question was, are there some unique challenges as a black advocate for the urban community that you might face that you don't think other constituents that are advocates wouldn't?
3: Yes um well let me say this differently yes and no so the yes is there are very few other communities outside from the black community that really put any energy behind advocating for but i believe that some of the same problems arise in some of the same areas right it's that people get consistently comfortable with whatever the status quo currently is right and i find that in black communities um the communities that i've specifically worked with sometimes that energy behind you know what if it's not completely broke Then we don't have to be the ones to fix it. It's sometimes some of the things that you, the problems that you run into. So it's like, we wanna make some change, like we want change to be made, but it's not always, and that's not always that individual, that individual that you ask, you're asking to help you to make that change doesn't always feel a part of the solution. I think you run into that for the most part in most communities, but um, I've run into that significantly in in the communities that I've worked with. So an individual may say, you know, we need to make sure that uh, we have more Black owned businesses. But doesn't want to support black owned businesses. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, we need to make sure we have more yeah. young people that are participating in, in programs, but no one wants to, very few people want to volunteer to be a part of a program. That part becomes like pulling teeth. Like you kind of have to, you kind of have to uh, convince the community to help you benefit the community. And I think most people run into this. And I think the thing that makes it a little bit difficult, more a little bit more difficult, not only with um communities that are you know um African American. Or um, black for the most part, but communities that don't have the money, right? When you have an economic issue where individuals have a priority of, I'm gonna go to work, keep my head low, and make this money, take care of my family. You have you may you may likely to run into more people that's gonna say, you know what? That becomes a priority. And if that thing that you're talking about doesn't impact my money, then why is it worth my extra effort? You know what I'm saying? Because it's so hard to maintain the current shift that they have. Um, some individuals, when it comes to changing some of these things may feel like the job that they have may be impacted by it. So like, if I work in a job that's publicly facing and I'm out there protesting and riding with the people, that might impact my, my, my ability to be able to maintain that job. You know what I'm saying? So we have a tendency to find all of these connections to why maybe publicly being out there and helping might, be, um, might not necessarily be the greatest thing for us. So those are some of the issues that I've specifically run into, but I can't say that they're solely unique to black communities. I can say when you have an economic issue, sometimes a community issue just isn't a, it's not their priority. It's 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 someone else's problem to fix. That's why you have elected officials and Al Sharpton and other individuals that you could turn to to fix these issues. Not everybody feels connected to correcting it.
2: Hmm. Okay. You can't see the forest through the trees.
3: Correct. Because sometimes we don't hmm. think that, we don't think that far. We don't think about how the young person that's in that neighborhood that needs guidance could possibly be the young person that bullies your young person right we don't always necessarily see the connection between the lack of black owned businesses being the lack of circulating and circulating resources back into our own communities that could possibly lead to our communities being more self-sufficient so if we don't see that because the the priority right now is taking care of home then sometimes it doesn't feel like it's worth it at all to some people but then there, there are a lot that do see it and I think one thing about Southeast Queens, is that Southeast Queens is in no way, shape, or form lack advocates. Think, you know, they have a lot of advocates in Southeast Queens. I think what happens is that you just sometimes they don't always have the community support that they need to be the loudest advocates. But they're advocates. There are tons of advocates in Southeast Queens.
1: Okay. Okay.
3: Hundred.
1: A hundred. hundred. Let's go. I, I think that's so true for what you just said. You just said. Yeah. Well, my question is especially around last year where Black Lives Matter was happening, how did you handle like putting your voice out there, letting people know that our lives matter and how can we fight against racism?
3: So the funny part is that like one of the things that I mentioned was the the, the ability to be able to maintain, right, when Mm -hmm. it comes to on a regular basis. Last year was a very difficult year because in my personal capacity, my job already responds to police accountability, right? Mm. My everyday regular job responds to police accountability, but we have to do that in a way that's non-biased. So I would not be able to publicly make us or take a very specific stand regarding Black Lives Matter or anything else because my job has to stay neutral, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. my my very specific contribution is in my personal capacity, I now have to do as many presentations as possible about what you do when a police officer is not doing their job appropriately. How do we now push for having a conversation about police accountability? That's the only way that I personally would be able to maintain the current job that I have and be able to still, you know, with my level of energy, be able to say, you know what? It's time for something different. It's time for some mm-hmm. level of change. So I put a certain level of passion, okay, passion. into getting these presentations. Having these conversations, nonetheless, I wouldn't be able to do it the way that I did it back in college, where I could mm. literally be organizing protests, leading protests, speaking at protests, and literally be on the bullhorn and on on the um in uh in conversations with individual organizations. Mm. So to answer that question, one hundred percent honestly, I literally did my job as best as I could to be able to get the word out about um how to hold police officers accountable for misconduct, but unfortunately. I couldn't do anything else beyond
1: that. This is un- that's understandable. Okay.
2: Hmm. Now, as, as a director of constituent affairs at the New York City Council, can you give us a little bit more details to what is how you can use position further- Say yeah,
1: that oh, again.
2: N-ron. Say <laughs> that mess again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, you uh, got go yeah, the science space? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I a little research, and you know, I just have questions. That's all. That's, sound, that's like what you, I'm sound like you? Sound like you about the time travel boy? No, hey. um, <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> now, all right. So, Myron, you was you was breaking up. You can uh,
2: continue your question, which you was gonna say. Wow, I'm breaking up. All right. So then, that's probably bad sound, on my end. You sound um, good now. No, as a as a Okay. As a director of constituent affairs, how do you use that position to further help with advocacy, especially in the urban community?
3: Okay. So, and so that was the capacity that I was in, in my previous job. So Mm -hmm. in my previous job, I spent the city council as a director of constituent affairs and the overall energy was we take in complaints, right? As we take in complaints, we see these systemic trends, right? So every winter, you may see one specific thing. Every summer, you may see something different. The good thing is that the council member that I was working for was very grassroots, very on the ground. So on that, in that case, we used to take some of those issues and be able to turn them into some level of systemic change where we would like connect with fatherhood programs, connect with organizations, and use that to be able to advocate for very specific types of treatments um, from the government to individuals that live in the city of New York, but mainly to address those that live in our, in our very specific district. So let's say for case in point, um, we worked out a program when I was working for the city council for um, single fathers, right? Um, with an organization, right. with a couple of fatherhood organizations, one being Furthering Fathering, another being Faith, Fathers Alive in the Hood, um, mm-hmm. where there was a certain level of advocacy for fair treatment of fathers that were making an effort to pay child support, right? Um, for, the, for there to be a certain level of um, resources handed to individuals that may have had some economic problems and needed help, being able to find financial assistance, finding work training, um, and being able to, for the most part, sustain so they could be better fathers. Um, One thing that we have a tendency to do as individuals is that we have these trends that run themselves. And then we have a tendency from time to time to forget about the holistic picture, right? So case in point, one point Mm -hmm. in our lives, we were like, um, our girls need some more attention, right? Then we gave them more attention and forgot about the boys. Then we go back to the boys and forget about the girls. Like, then we forget that, you know, our youth are our youth and they need guidance, right? Mm -hmm. So um, for a long time, we spent a lot of time saying we need to enhance our parents, we need to enhance our parents focusing mainly on single mothers, then forgetting the fact that there are still, there's still a thing as a father and or single fathers. So what we did is we just bridged that gap. We said, let's find a way to be able to balance out some of that conversation so that our fathers could meet the level of excellence that we want um, and that they could be, they could be in their children's lives as much as possible. Um, So that was an example of one way that we used being a, uh, working in in a government office to be able to kind of find some level of advocacy so that we can provide resources for those that needed it and mm-hmm. be able to lift the level of um, level of involvement of a father in their child's life by matching the resources that they need to be engaged in their, cho- in their children's lives, holistically, whether that's socially, whether that's economically, right. collectively, just being there. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah,
2: it uh, sounds uh, like you made a real impact with your position. Yep.
0: definitely. If any of you guys is on Facebook Live, please mute it. I can hear it. I can hear it. In a, um, in, in the background <clears throat> so yeah, no. um, all right um now Ron, it looks like you fired up with questions I mean, <laughs> 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 um all right so let me All right. so here's all right so let me ask you a question uh Jahai. so everything for what you're talking about what was the ultimate your your ultimate goal overall
3: of advocacy. So in advocacy, what I want to see is, all right, so I was born in Southeast Queens, right? Mm-hmm. And I moved to, um, we moved to, 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 to East New York, Brooklyn. Then I ended up ultimately moving back to Southeast Queens. What I noticed between both neighborhoods is that it felt like there was a difficulty in being, in having an equal voice regarding resources. To some extent, finding sustainability in your own community. And that's collective sustainability. So my ultimate goal in doing advocacy is finding that sustainability, finding that thing that puts me in a position to say I could live in a neighborhood that was considered historically a bad neighborhood, raise my children in that neighborhood, and not feel the need to leave once I get a little bit of change in my pocket. And that's what I ultimately ended up seeing um, as a young person growing up in East New York specifically, because once you got a little bit of bread, you was out. It just is what it is. Okay. Even 50, when 50 first came out, he said. He made a statement, he said F the hood, right? Um, And then somebody put a mic to him and said, why'd you say that? He said, because it's a horrible place to live and I don't know anybody that wants to live there. I would want to change that narrative. East New York should be East New York. South Jamaica should be South Jamaica. Mm -hmm. Far Rockaway should be Far Rockaway. You should should feel comfortable in living there, raising your children there and dying there if necessary. As long as you feel comfortable, as long as that neighborhood provides you with what you need. In advocacy, you want that neighborhood to, you want every neighborhood to be able to provide that individual what they need in order to grow and have a family. The problem with a lot of neighborhoods that we have now is that something's missing, right? The neighborhood may be violent. Neighborhood may be lacking economic opportunity. There may not be educational opportunities. My advocacy, I hope that to, I hope to find this, um, this thing, or this groundswell that will allow people to say, you know what, we can build that. We can fight for that. Why? Because this is our home. This is the space that I've kissed my first girl at. This is the space where I've made my connections to, the place where I shot my first hoop. You get what I'm saying? Those individual connections, you don't wanna lose that because you're scared. And you don't wanna lose that because you've lost so much. You get what I'm saying? So in that being the case, my my advocacy, the ultimate goal is to find sustainability. I think Mm -hmm. the difference between me and some other advocates might be who I want to bring about that sustainability some people may want governmental assistance i am more a fan of people power um and that being the case i my my um my uh direct ask of members of the public is to be a part of that change very directly and very intimately
1: okay
0: Mm. Mm -hmm. okay so talk talk hold on before before nyron your question can you talk more about what you said you're more of a people of power can, can you talk more about that, please? And how and how can people benefit? Like that's watching this right now for our listeners.
3: Like what can they do? So people power pretty much just means that exactly. you want the general public to be the solution, right? So um, people. Some some people may have noticed that I did this event and didn't really understand why, right? So 2018, 2018. I did an event called uh, laser tag in the park, right? Um, and my my goal was to get fathers to have some type of activity that they could do with their children, right? Overall goal really is to have a fun activity inside of the park where young people and their parents could come in. So the initiative was, hey, let's go to barbershops. Let's get some, gen- let's get some guys involved. Let's get some fathers involved. Let's do this event. In fundraising for the event, I went to the hood. Like I went to just general people that I knew, business owners, just average everyday individuals, some advocates, but my goal was get, the get our men involved. When you look at the Southeast Queens power structure, our women are very, 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 very very vocal. They're very out there. They're very, they're doing exactly what they're supposed to do. Unfortunately, sometimes it's lacking our participation. So my energy was, let's see, let's show an event that has the face of these guys in it, doing something that pulls men into, into a space to be more present with their young people. So on the flyer, I had all of the men that um, donated money towards the event on the flyer itself. So these individuals were what I call the Omega Corp, Omega Laser Corp, right? Mm -hmm. Um, That, in my opinion, was showing people power. These individuals, without any help from any government institution, were able to pull together the money to have this event for these young people. Um, The money was completely raised without me having to go to any elected officials or any um, organizations to be able to get it. That's what I mean by people power. I want individuals to feel so connected to it because that investment, I think Martin Luther King said it the best. Individuals, um, a people that do not feel connected to their society to their society, will ultimately destroy their society because there's no connection, there's no buy-in. I want the general public to have buy-in. So the difficulty with that is that when you have an individual, when well, you have to go off of donations of $100 here, $10 here, $15 here, I need two people to, um, to volunteer here, three people to volunteer here. That means that you need a thousand people to do something that possibly, given different resources, maybe only a hundred people would be necessary to do. And that's what makes this process that much more difficult because it requires more reaching out. It requires more effort. It requires more on the ground. It requires more relationships in mm-hmm. order for you to be able to make that work. But I feel like that thousand people that had that buy-in are now gonna feel connected to making that situation the best that it can be. To making that area as best as it could be because they're like, I took all this time to do this, or I put in this money to do this, or I, I put in this effort to do this, therefore now it needs to be it needs to be done right and it needs to be sustainable. So that's what I mean by people power. I want people, more people, to feel connected to the solution and I want them to own the responsibility to feel connected to the solution.
1: And Come I, on, And I, I Come completely on. agree Come with you saying because it's best to get the people for the community to make a difference because when other people see that, they'll be like, okay, you know what? If that person could do it, I could contribute my own power to it also instead of Absolutely. seeing like, let's say the city or the government try to do something because, you know, when we hear government try to help us, we're like,
2: eh, are
1: you sure? Like, what, what's, your, what's your motive, you know? But seeing your neighbor, okay, seeing your neighbor, it's like, that's a powerful thing, especially like you say. It's good to see more men in our community because, to be honest, where I live now, Rochdale Southside, we barely see any men there for the community for the children. It's, I got to change.
0: Absolutely, mm. and I want to. I want to continue that for what you're saying. Look at Texas right now. Oh. If you look at <laughs> uh, look at Texas <laughs> right now, if you look at New Orleans when they had the flood. I just like for what Jahai Rose is saying, I want you to look at things. Did the government actually help neighborhoods and people? Just 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 do do your own that that's that's like when you do your own research for what are they actually providing? Because the whole purpose originally of government was to help people.
1: <laughs>
0: Sorry. So, so Sorry. originally, so <laughs> You have to really um like ask to ask yourself or not like not even ask yourself but like these are things that comes up like when he's talking about people power. You see what I'm saying? So yeah, let's touch on that. Um, so yeah, get
1: Nairo. Well. Before I say my audio, okay? Nairon, you're time, travel again. Patrol your time powers. traveling
2: again. I'm time traveling again. I don't know powers. what to tell you. I don't, I don't you're know, not know a, what to tell you. You're not
1: an Avenger, okay?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, wish, I wish I knew what to tell you. I'm so sorry about my mic. I'm not putting
3: that push in. <laughs> Whoa, bro, bro, bro. bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah, give it, give it, you might want to give it just one second and yeah. then try again. Nairon, give it one second. And then uh, see if your
0: connection, and then try again. All
2: right, hold on. You know what? Let me try um, connecting using my headphones.
1: Maybe that. You know when you're you're jogging, you're out of breath. That's what your computer is doing. Okay, (laughs) that's what my computer. (laughs) Gotta catch this breath real quick. All right. So
3: (laughs) and I love your sessions. I I really want to hear them.
0: (laughs) Uh, All right. So uh, as we wait for Niron to us back, so um, I wanna. uh, You know what? Let me just ask. just, Nairon, let me know, just cut me off and uh, let me know if like, you know, everything is all clear on your end, but I'm gonna just ask Jahairo's question and then after that, you're gonna jump on to it. So Jahai,
3: um, does advocacy, does it require a skill? Um, I think with advocacy, you kind of get in where you fit in, right? If you're gonna be out front, then yeah, there's a few skills that you wanna make sure you have, right? One thing is definitely communication skills it's really mm-hmm. difficult for you to advocate for something if you can't communicate with other individuals, right? Because you, you, then the power of persuasion, right? So you need communication skills that lead to the power of persuasion, and then you need to be able to grasp the topic that you have some level of um, interest in. So when I first did, when I did my first event at York College, it was called a Peace Enforcement Awareness Rally because of the tension between the police department and the um, general residents of the Southeast Queens area over the Sean Bell shooting. At the point where I did um, the work that I was doing, it was right after the police officers were acquitted of killing Sean Bell as, as, in the murder case. And we were between the time period of them being acquitted and then them being charged in a departmental hearing within the, within the police department. What I had to do before I got in there and started having conversations with members of the public, I literally had to buy the police patrol guide. And in buying the police patrol guide, I now had to read through every aspect of the police patrol guide that dealt with how those police officers did the job that they were doing during that time period. Find the points that may have been wrong in order for us to be able to say this is where you were wrong. However, we understand that you guys are handling this internally, but you could understand now why we're hurt because it wasn't only wrong that it wasn't only wrong from our perspective, but your own book should have showed you that you weren't supposed to have done this in the fashion that you did it. Um, and it's one thing for you to be able to listen to news reports and everything else, but it's another thing for you to be able to pull out this thick book and be able to say, section, subsection three of this book indicates that that is not something that you are supposed to do. That's a certain level of uh, notoriety that you can't fight with, right? This is your book. So it's the, the energy in my, in my case was using an individual's policies, procedures against them in order to say, you know what, we need change. We need something better. We need something different. So I would say those skills that you need, is you need patience. You need communication skills. You need the power of persuasion. You need organization skills. And in addition to that, you have to be able to really sit down and be able to have study skills. Those study skills really have to put you in a position to say, if I care about this enough, I have to research it because I don't wanna be caught off guard by somebody telling me I care about this, but guess what? You didn't read this section and you don't know that section because really you can't lead people and advocate for something that you don't have as much knowledge on as you should. You know what I'm saying? So those are the typical skills that you would need in order for you to advocate for something. Um, To become an advocate specifically, really just people skills. People will literally follow someone that they trust and they believe in um, as long as they trust and they believe in them. It just is what it is. And you could find something that somebody else believes in. It just is what it is. So um, that's just the difference between being a genuine advocate And being just somebody that people follow is that the research and the the level of energy you put into understanding what you're advocating for has got to be pristine. You have to really know what you're talking about. You have to find all the loopholes that everybody else has found and maybe even some more because what you're always, what an advocate is always going to have is somebody advocating against whatever they're advocating for. It's never going to be a perfect system, right? Somebody's going to be upset. So as you say, Black Lives Matter. You're gonna find a what, and All Lives Matter. Then you're gonna find a Blue Lives Matter. The advocate says, you know what? This is why Black Lives. That's what this is the reason why this statement needs to mean something to all three groups: to Black people, to those that believe that All Lives Matter, and to those that believe that Blue Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. That's that's the energy and the, that's the energy and the level of dedication and passion that that individual needs to have, in my opinion, to be an effective and a and a genuine advocate. Okay, now, can everybody hear me clearly?
2: Is there <laughs> come <anything>? on now, <laughs> No, no, it's still bad. Nah, I thought I'd get choppy again. Oh, my God. I don't know what to tell you. I hear it's you now. Like, Sorry.
1: It's like you good right. in the beginning, but then if this goes down here, they come back up. It's like a roller You know what?
2: This is a $2,000 laptop. I need my money back is, what, is what's really happening here. I clearly need my money back. Is that a map book? <laughs> <laughs> is... No, but um, if, if you can hear me clearly, um, outside of the lack of individual incentive in the community, can you name some external factors that might uh, prevent you from succeeding
0: in terms of being an advocate? Hold on, Nairon. You said external.
2: Ask that again. External influences. You know, okay, because, because, you know, you, you, yeah, you listed some of the problems within our own community of, of how we fail to advocate because a lot of people lack intensification or they say they want to do one thing and their actions don't reflect what they want to say, but are there also like maybe some external forces, maybe some governmental policy, things along those lines that might prevent you from, from really achieving your goals as an
3: advocate for the community? Yeah, I would say yes. So... I would say the only external things remember <laughs> an, an advocate is only taking information and arguing back that something needs to be changed, right? So you're always gonna have this, this policy that you're advocating against that needs to be changed, right? So let's take it to, let's, let's say for instance, um, let's say for instance, NYCHA, right? A New York City Housing Authority, when you make a complaint about a New York City Housing Authority issue like maintenance, that problem goes to NYCHA directly. When that problem needs to get corrected, there's no oversight above NYCHA that says, if you don't fix this, something is gonna happen. There's, type of it, there's some type of external um, uh, entity that's gonna hold you accountable for that, right? Opposed to, let's say, living inside of a regular, inside of a an development that's not public housing. If I live inside of a regular house mm-hmm. with a landlord and I say, hey, landlord, fix my, um, let's say f- fix my faucet, right? They don't fix my faucet. I could go to HPD Housing Preservation and Development, and they will say, hey landlord, fix this faucet. If they don't fix it, HPD could literally send a contractor to fix it for me and bill the landlord, you know what I'm saying? In that type of space, I'm clearly gonna be advocating that NYCHA should be held accountable to the same standard because people in NYCHA deserve to have their apartments fixed in a reasonable time as well. And there shouldn't be less accountability on NYCHA when they have the most residents, you know what I'm saying? So there's always gonna be some type of governmental policy that's always gonna impede your ability to be able to get what you want. But in a sense of being able to pull people together and organize, I would say sometimes individuals fear the backlash from that agency. So let's say I wanna rally 3000 NYCHA residents to go at NYCHA directly in the city of New York for them to be able to get this change legislatively. Individuals might feel, you know what, oh man, I got an extra person living in my apartment. I don't want NYCHA to come in and kick me out because I may have violated this NYCHA rule. I haven't paid my rent. I'm about a month behind. Mm-hmm. I don't want NYCHA to come in and kick me out because I'm a month behind on my rent. You get what I'm saying? So those are some of the things right. that individuals may take into consideration when it comes to organizing because we just fear that the government has so much power, that these external powers are so much greater than ours that we're then it's then going to make us individually hesitant. But in my personal experience, I haven't seen like I'll jump out the window and go do something and an external factor is like, yo, bro, you better stop. Otherwise it's going to be problems. I haven't run into that problem personally. Not to say it doesn't happen. I think the closer you get to more sensitive issues is more individuals may be receiving those phone calls. I know politically things like that may happen, but I can't say it's ever happened to me.
2: <clears throat>
3: got it, got um, it. So I want
0: to, I want to touch on, uh, to add like, uh, I want to go back to when you said about the patrol guy, right? So, how can people, and this is this is for the people that you know, just in case if they get you know approached by police, um, how can they you know research or look up to the patrol guy, whatever city or state? Because we do have people that's in the Pacific time and the California, the 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 specific. I'm sorry, the Pacific time. In Texas time, uh, listening to this podcast right now.
3: So I can speak for the city of New York. I really am not certain how the process works in other states, but I can say for the city of New York, the police patrol guide is public now. Like when when I had to use it, it was 2007, Uh roughly 2007. Yeah, it was 2007 when I had to physically go buy it. I had to buy it from Lexix, Lexix Nexus and add, it was a physical copy of it. Now everything is digital. So you could just go onto the NYPD's website, go to the page that says police patrol guide and there's a digital copy of it and you could get it. And the, the easier thing about the digital copy is that it comes, it turns into a PDF and you can literally press control F to find whatever you wanna find in the patrol guide. Now, hopefully other states have adapted or other cities I should say have adapted to using the same method so that, cause the, the patrol guide is not a private document, right? It's public record. So hopefully in other states, it is also public record. But each individual city and state has different ways that they handle the release of information and what's considered public and what's not. But a patrol guide for an individual city, I can't imagine why something like that would be private or not susceptible to um, public record.
0: Yes, uh, okay, yeah. I'm, I'm sitting now, it um, seems like you have to Google it or just like you said, you have to buy it. So yeah, absolutely, thank you for that. <clears> TC, <throat> see
1: with COVID happening and the whole pandemic and stuff have you found like social media platforms helping people like advocate like stand up for certain rights nowadays like Facebook and do you see that's going to be like is that the way to go now or still going to rallies in person will always be the way
3: um, I think the the with with COVID and mm. this is going to sound, this is going to sound, I'm I, 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 give, give me a second to put it together. Now with COVID, the fact that people are still willing to congregate to show that they believe in something pushes a stronger message. Okay. However, the consistency in doing that with Facebook and Instagram means that you could fight on a simultaneous plane. So it's like, you can't not see this stuff. Right? Mm. So if I'm trying to relax, and I'm scrolling through Facebook, and I see protests here, conversation here, conversation here. You've already locked in my Facebook market, right? Yeah. I see the same thing on Instagram when I'm trying to chill, right? Like I think Mice on the General, is everyone here familiar with Mice on the General? Yes, I don't know. He used to be a rapper with um. He used to he used to be signed to Fifty Cent's label. Um, he used he did a little bit of battle rap. Um, but now mm-hmm. he's he's a community. He's a um advocate about police misca- about police accountability. So him and and Tameka Mallory, a lot of times work together. So he has a ton of discussions about like Facebook Live and Instagram Live. um, And he has these discussions, right? So then you either see one of three things when it comes to advocacy. You'll see a Facebook Live Zoom type of hybrid like what we're having now, where people have an opportunity to look in, right? You go on YouTube. As somebody will will have the same conversation or they'll be having a discussion about the matter at hand. You go on Instagram and you'll see somebody talking about it or live streaming from a protest. I say that to say all this, we never wanna negate any process when it comes to advocacy because advocacy is about visibility. It's about having the conversation. It's about saying that this thing possibly wasn't spoken about enough at one point and needs to be spoken about more now and these individual perspectives which probably weren't heard before need to be heard now. So I wouldn't um, use one to say that one is a better option or another is a better option. I think using them both of, I think using them both adds on to an arsenal because we're in a space now that you can never be on television, never reach um, a tele, uh, never reach an individual that is a, of TV status but still be able to get the message out to thousands, millions of people. You get what I'm saying? But sometimes that visual of just thousands of people getting together is like, you could use Facebook and social media to enhance that. But nonetheless, people being willing to get out in a dangerous environment and do something, in my opinion, is always going to be a wave of getting individuals' attention.
2: Okay. Let's go. Let's go. Okay.
0: Um, everyone, Nairon will be back. You just got to, you know, technical difficulties niron with we'll deaf back. so my my question to you is um, how do you advocate for someone that needs your support as an advocate to uh, first how can they reach out to you and how can they how can you support them
3: okay so Um, From working from the city council and from just just networking as an individual, um, I have a tendency to connect with individuals, organizations, um, so that if someone does need help, I'll be able to do so. So um, if an individual wants to connect with me, they could use this phone number, uh, 929-888-7673. The last four numbers spell out the word ROSE. So it's 929-888-ROSE. Um, If an individual wants to connect with me, I would say it's better to text than it is to call um, because my days are so so, uh, active sometimes that it's hard to be able to pick up the phone. But that's the best way to get in contact with me. Um, My email address is advocate, common spelling at J-A-H-I-R-O-S-E dot info. So only ways right now I can advocate are, are, are a bit sparse. So I do still have connections to city agencies. I still do have um, connections to organizations. I like to be that individual point person that could put you in the right direction. So if you do need something that I can't physically provide, then I'll be able to at least point you in the right direction. I will be honest, I'm not the tell all catch all individual. Like I just, it, when, when I was with the city council, it was a lot easier for me to be able to pull individuals together because the power of the city council is a different power, right? Mm -hmm. But as an an individual, people still pick up my phone calls. So if an individual could think of something that they needed help with, they could feel free to give me a call and I'll help any way that I can or at least point you in the right direction.
1: Yeah, hey guys. Yep. Absolutely. One of my questions is, I know we are talking about like how to fix things from the ground up from neighborhoods in our community. Do you think in schools, should we have programs for children to get into advocacy? Start learning like how, like basically building leadership, building that social, um, social intelligence, I should say, like to help them, you know, fight for something.
3: I think that every school should at least have an elective mm-hmm. that allows young people that think that they 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 that, that they want to go in that direction to at least be able to give a a basic level of it, right? Mm -hmm. So I think a long time ago, they may have called that, like it might be an elective of a a civics class. So let's say today you learn about politics. After I learned about what the federal, after I learned the difference between the federal, state and city, and then learned about, you know, the different branches of government, um, executive, legislative and judicial, I didn't know anything else after that. So now when it came to participating in elections and other other stuff, now when I start participating and getting individuals elected, the process of choosing an elected official, I don't know anything about petitioning. I don't know anything about what it means when you go to the ballot box. I don't know that a primary is where you vote on your party and a general election, is where, you, um, is where you actually vote down party lines. I don't know any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think there should be individual electives that if they're going to teach you about the different levels of government, they should teach you how that's practically used. They're gonna teach you about the fact that community boards exist in a the community. They can teach you about how they're used and what role they play in the city of New York. And if they're going to teach you about accountability, there should be a notion of how, how does that accountability become practical? How do individuals engage in making change in their individual neighborhoods if there's something that they don't agree with policy-wise? So I do believe that young people should be educated with it, but I think it's so many different factions of it that maybe it should be an elective that a young person may then choose to take, so that if they want to go in that direction, if they learned it on a primary basis and it sparked their interest, they should then be able to venture off into that, um, into that space. Okay. I think that should start at a high school, junior high. I think that should start at a junior high school, high school level. Because when I was in junior high school, I was able to run for student representative. So if you're able to run for student representative, you should be able to be taught how to advocate for people, right? So mm-hmm. I think from a junior high school level, coming into a high school level, those should be electives that are offered to young people.
1: I agree with junior high school, especially because at that age, you started to get your own identity. You so to discover who you are. So I think that's a perfect age group. Yeah, I agree. Let's go.
0: Let's go. Come on. Nairon, you're on mute. Nairon, you're on mute.
2: You're on mute. Unmute him. There we go. All right. Can you guys hear me now?
1: Yes. Yes, yes. Oh,
2: thank God. You know, that was terrible. I'm sorry,
1: folks.
2: <laughs> uh, I had to go on my own little adventure. I had to download Zoom. Then I had to sign in. Then I had to okay. play with the camera. Y'all good, Nairon. Y'all good. All good right. no.
0: What's your question?
2: No, um, as an advocate, you know, we say the term urban community. But, you know, urban is just another way of saying Black community. How does the quote unquote urban community deal with gentrification? Because I feel that it's a huge threat to advocacy for neighborhoods that are changing out of and, and the changes coming out of, our, out of our own control.
3: Got it. Um, so you have to find where the control is in gentrification. Right. So I think when people think about gentrification, they think about people coming in, sweeping in and taking property. Right. The the thing about taking property is that you have to first own property for it to be taken away from you. So one of the spaces that you have some level of power is that your individual business owners and your individual private homeowners. Those individuals take a large stake in what could be reasonable when it comes to um gentrification. So think about it like this, right? You have a local, let's say you have a local a juice bar, right? Let's say a juice bar, right? So you have a local juice mm-hmm. bar. Um And that juice bar is hemorrhaging money. They're not making enough money to sustain themselves. Right.
2: Right.
3: When I think gentrification, I'm thinking vulnerability. So I'm thinking the first place that I'm going to start with buying out is going to be that juice bar. So one of the ways for you to be able to combat gentrification is to make your neighborhoods, um, your neighborhoods um, businesses viable. You shop and you spend your money where you live. Because if that individual is not willing to sell, individuals cannot take that property. You get what I'm saying? Like when people say, oh, I saw Starbucks pop up in my neighborhood, that Starbucks doesn't always, doesn't typically come from a vacant lot. They've bought out a property. And when they've brought out that property, that property said, you know what? For whatever money you offer me, it makes more sense than me staying, than than me sticking around. So I'll take that money and I'm out of here. That -hmm. typically starts a domino effect. That domino effect goes to the building next door where they'll say, you know what? They bought me out for $2 million. You ain't never going to make a $2 million here. You might as well get out of here when I get up out of here. You get what I'm saying? Though there are right. advocates that live in your community that would advocate for these individuals to sell out and leave. And I don't mean sell out in, in, a, in a derogatory sense. I literally mean sell their businesses and leave. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So that's one aspect that we may have some control over when it comes to fighting gentrification. Support your local businesses. Let them feel appreciated. Let them feel that there's nowhere else that they could possibly go to that's, that they're going to feel the love and get the economic growth that they can besides here, right? It's one thing. Two, you're busy, you um, your private owners. Um, you have areas, and I don't know how many people know this, but if I take a, let's say I, I live on a corner property, right? Everybody's property on my block is roughly, let's say $500,000 a piece. If I sell my property to an investor, and that investor now builds that property larger than what we're used to. That property now is more expensive than what we're used to. Everything in that area, all the property in that area, the value of it increases. When that property increases, property taxes also increase. So now, when my property taxes might have been, let's say, seventeen, let's say, twelve, let's say twelve, let's say two thousand dollars a year, my property taxes can now go up to twenty-five hundred a year even $3,000 a year because now the overall value of that block has been increased by that one individual selling out to not another family, not somebody's going to keep the viable structure of that neighborhood, but to an investor whose literally overall goal is to just make money off of that property. That individual has an ability to say, you know what, I'm going to hold out for a little bit and wait to sell to another family because I want to maintain the, 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 the integrity and the culture of this specific neighborhood as this type of neighborhood. You get what I'm saying? Other things, so those are some of the things where, if I was going to advocate for for gentrification in a sense of how to stop gentrification in my neighborhood, that's where you find first, you find those spaces where you have some sense of control over first. Then, from there, the other things are just fighting the things that don't make sense. So, there's certain aspects of gentrification that you really just have no control over. So, Mm -hmm. when certain powers that be have the tendency to make your neighborhood less safe or they make your neighborhood less desirable to those that currently live in it, unfortunately, mm-hmm. those are the things that you're gonna have to fight against because they will do those things without your permission. You know what I'm saying? So some people um, may not, what, what they call negative land use. So if you have negative land use in your area, let's say a waste transfer station, right? Waste transfer station, they bring garbage there, they compress the garbage, they um, and then they, they take it somewhere to be processed, right? Or sometimes it even gets processed right there. If, if that's something that you have a proliferation of in your neighborhood, then that's something that you probably want to fight to make sure that you don't have too much of it because people in your neighborhood will more likely want to leave that neighborhood because of the negative impacts of that negative land use. You know what I'm saying? So I would say start with the things you have some control over, then work your way to the things that you may not have control over. And that's what you need to specifically fight against. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. that's some of the ways that you'll be able to, as an advocate, throw the, some of the spaces that you could fit in, you could get in where you fit in because it not, might not matter to everybody to make sure that their, um, their businesses are socially viable, but it may matter to you that you have a waste transfer station in your neighborhood. You know what I'm saying? It may not matter yeah. to some people that people are selling to investors, but it really might matter to you that you are a business owner and nobody shops at your spot. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. you get in where you fit in what that's, con- what that's considered. Um, for the average advocate, I would encourage advocates to, to, to support other advocates, but try your best not to take the lead just because you have the loudest voice, especially if it's something that you don't have a, a concerted passion for. If you have, if, if you're comfortable with saying, you know what, um, Diamond is better at fighting for, fighting to get rid of negative land use than I can, listen, I will hoorah with um, Diamond behind him and push his agenda because he's the passionate one about that agenda. You get what I'm saying? But you have right. to find those components of gentrification that are breaking that are allowing your community to be vulnerable support the things that you can and fight against the things that you can
2: let's go yeah,
1: let's well go said, well let's
0: said. go yeah absolutely um if and also for our listeners we did talk about real estate in episode 11 so you can definitely um on that um so for jahai rose J- jahai rose right so for what you're saying overall we need to gentrify our own neighborhoods um, in order to take control that way we don't have to complain about others outside of our community gentrifying our own neighborhood. Is that overall what you're saying?
3: Yeah, for the I wouldn't use the term gentrify our own neighborhood, but yes, you, you support your own neighborhood because mm. when you when an individual thinks about gentrifying a neighborhood, they're thinking specifically about vulnerability. That's why if you notice neighborhoods that are already economically viable don't get gentrified right there may be a little cost of there may be a little cost of living increase but that's typically across the board so if the if the price of coffee goes up and you know forest hills price of coffee is going to go up also in jamaica queens right but when i come to take over a neighborhood um from a from an economic standpoint i'm coming for a neighborhood that i believe needs fixing right mm-hmm. so in me fixing it i'm thinking in my mind you know what if we raise this here if we move this here, if we change the quality here, this will in fact be a better neighborhood. And people typically do that when neighborhoods that they already believe are are, are are vulnerable in one way, shape or form or another. And a lot of times Got those it. are neighborhoods that are economically unvulnerable. Got it.
1: Downtown Brooklyn was like that back in the day.
3: Yeah, oh, I yeah. used to work downtown Brooklyn.
0: Downtown mm. Brooklyn was, yikes. Yeah, was...
2: that's
1: <laughs> right.
0: Right,
2: Greenpoint, all those areas and, and look- Fulton. At <laughs> <laughs> but my problem is, I, I might not necessarily have a problem with gentrification. My problem with gentrification is the passage of ownership from, from African-Americans to non-African-Americans. And then, thus, the influx of people who don't look like us in our own neighborhood sort of dictating the new changes in the neighborhood. And it leaves us feeling displaced. That's and... Right. Right. And, I, 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 and as an advocate, how, I know you already answered the question about how you can address it, but what steps can we take right now to prevent that happening in other areas that we could see are probably prime spots
3: for gentrification? So I would say it's really economic viability. Um, so the reason why we typically feel displaced um, in those type of environments is because we, 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 are, we are priced out. Right on average, it goes from us having what we feel let's say percentage of control. Right, we may Uh feel like we have 70 percent of the control, and then nothing becomes, um, price wise, nothing becomes reasonable to us. Right, Uh in order for us to take care of our children and be as viable as we were before, we're now using 90 percent of our income, opposed to the 30 or 40 percent we really should have been using. Right, Uh when somebody else comes in and says, Hey, you now have to pay you know, 10 or to $15 for a sandwich when you're used to paying $10 for a sandwich or when you're used to paying, not even, you're used to paying $5 for a sandwich, that person controls the narrative for those reasons, which is the reason why we feel displaced. So those conversations literally start with your businesses, right? So which is the only reason why the way that you could kind of navigate that conversation away from that is by controlling your businesses now. Start businesses, encourage businesses, encourage individuals that like the me and me cash, and um, distinguished me I'm um, diamond and, and distinguished and um, Sin did an event last year. It was last year. It was a year. It was a year before last. Um, encouraging I entrepreneurship.
2: It was a year before. Right? Yeah, yeah, I was there for that. I was there for that.
3: Right. So, in encouraging yes. entrepreneurship and pushing yeah, individuals to be business owners, that's how you fight back. To, to have some viability in the conversation. Because literally all gentrification is, is literally taking a community and making it too expensive for another group to move out, therefore forcing them out of it. So whether that's rent expenses, whether that's how much you cost for your general essentials, which would be food, shelter, so forth and so on. When you make those things too expensive, you don't got to take a gun to ask people to leave. They'll just leave. They just going to book it, right? So that being the case, you gain some level of... um. Of power in that conversation by still being able to say, you know what, I don't care how much everything else went up, it's ten dollars, it's five dollars for a sandwich. I need to cover my cost of living. Let's just make it six bucks. Mm-hmm. This coffee that these people are selling for $15, I'll sell it to you for eight. You know what I'm saying? As long as you're able to be viable. And as long as there is an economy of scale regarding a lot of people coming to that location to get their coffee, a lot of people buying their sandwiches there, as long as there is support, they will be, there will always be some sense of, um, of control. But once you lose the businesses That's that provide it. you essential resources, you really lose pretty much everything else because an individual will have more incentive to leave from their neighborhood and sell their house to the first bidder. The more the more unstable that economic environment in that area becomes. You get what I'm saying? So, right. um, creating jobs, promoting um, promoting um, business growth, and supporting those individuals that are already in your neighborhood that circulate wealth makes it a lot easier for you to be able to maintain control of that conversation. Now, if gentrification has already happened, then you've already lost control. You get what I'm saying? Like, that, mm-hmm. that ability mm-hmm. for you to be able to mm-hmm. stay, to for you to be able to make any demands is already out the window. You're outnumbered. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And you're yeah. not outnumbered by people. You're outnumbered by the dollar. <laughs> like, at the end of the day, you can't afford to live where you live. You can't afford to eat where you live. You can't afford to purchase where you live. Therefore, you have no choice but to leave where you live.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, now, someone just told me, uh, Jahai Rose, and so, like, how can you talk about economic empowerment? How can I talk about economic empowerment? How can I have this, um, this mindset of economic empowerment if I'm struggling in the everyday cycle? How can you, how, how can I have, and how can I have this economic empowerment if I live um, every day, um, you know, living paycheck to paycheck, when I live paycheck to paycheck from rent, uh, utilities, phone bill um you know netflix all of that is gone all of that is gone into my paycheck how can i have economic empowerment if i need to feed myself my my, my children and you know people that is a uh, uh just 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 living costs. How, how, how can i talk about that if, if i'm struggling how can i have that mindset or how
3: how how so I think the notion is still getting in where you fit in, right? So mm-hmm. in every aspect, if you eat, period, then you could always support a black business that sells food, right? If you drink, you could drink somewhere where black people own, right? I think some of the issues, not black people, but the people that the people that are in your neighborhood. So like if you're in a Spanish or Latino or Latin neighborhood, support them. If you're in a black neighborhood, support them. If you're in a Haitian neighborhood, support them. But nonetheless, the notion is local, right? Supporting those that are local and making sure that there's an understanding and arrangement that those that you're supporting locally support locally. Right. So that's a holistic, genuine conversation that all parties really need to have. But I think when people here think um, economic like to find some sense of economics. It's if you think collectively, all you're doing is paying attention to where you're spending your money. You can still be as mindful of how you spend your money, but the notion is where and how that money cycles back into the community that you're trying to preserve and or save from being taken over by another set of individuals you get what i'm saying so i'm not asking for every individual to become a business owner you don't have to what i'm saying is that um niron that was your name niron if if niron says tomorrow i want to start a business i don't need you to, to to even invest in that business I need that if Niron is selling something that you want to purchase, instead of you going downtown to go buy it, you buy it with Niron, Because if Niron can't make money up the block from us, when they come and say, you know what, I'm going to buy out Niron's business, Niron might say, you know, I'm going to get the hell out of here because I can't afford to stay here and I'm not even getting the support that I need from this neighborhood, which is who I put this business here for. You know what I'm saying? So it doesn't necessarily mean that you need to make a whole lot of money. You really don't. But the notion of economic um, empowerment for a collective is using your collective money to support locally and Mm -hmm. that's pretty much it so if you want to fight some sense of um if you want to fight gentrification the way to fight gentrification really is in the dollar um there's also a a group right they're doing they're creating a, a a credit union for the southeast queens area right that's another way for you to be able to fight gentrification because that credit union is now going to be something that's based in the Southeast Queens area. Um, And that Southeast Queens connection puts you in a position to be able to say, you know what? If I want to buy a home, I can put this here. I could get a loan from these individuals here. That money circulates here. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. The overall goal is to make sure that your monetary circulation of money is in this immediate area. Because if it's not, and that money stays here for 30 seconds and flies out somebody's going to fly in and say, you know what? I can make this money circulate better for this group of people, Mm -hmm. period. So I don't want anybody to take economic empowerment and think of it as you need to make more money. Just be mindful of where you spend it. And be mm -hmm. comfortable with having conversations. I think what happens a lot of times is that we fear that in having conversations, we're dictating to individuals without some sense of authority or we're having a conversation with someone that's not willing to talk. But you'd be surprised, some of these business owners really want to know how they could be more invested in the general community. As I mentioned before, when I did my event, it was business owners, everyday individuals. It was, um, the place that we had it was a local, um, the place that we had the meeting, where we started, where, we, where, we, where, where I pitched the idea was a local um, real estate investor. So yes. black men, you get what I'm saying? So all those things being consistent, I think if we're concerned about making sure that we wanna understand how our money is being spent and how it's being circulated, it's nothing for an individual to say, you know what? I'm gonna hold a meeting, give out some flies to some local business owners and let those local business owners know we wanna talk about economic viability here with you. I don't think there's any issue with 15, 16, 30 people getting together and saying, there is a business on this block that's closing down. How do we make sure that we can now fill that closed business with something that we want to see by somebody that we want to see. You know what I'm saying? It's just mm-hmm. a matter of getting together, talking to each other, and with the resources that you do have, actually using them for the sake of benefiting the collective. And if money is not your resource, then maybe you could be the one that walks up and down the block and gives the individual the pamphlet. If not, then you could be the one that creates the video that lets other people know that this is the conversation that's being had. You know what I'm saying? But get in where you fit in. Feeling like you're not a part of the solution is a part of the problem. So that being the case, get involved somehow. It doesn't always have to be money, Mm. but get involved somehow. And that's typically where we fall short. And a lot of times when it comes to gentrification, some people see that vulnerability as if I attack little by little, they're not going to get together until we're right about to take over anyway. At that point, it's pretty much too late. If, if, If you don't duck until after you get hit, what'd you duck for? You get what I'm saying? <laughs> so that being the case, it's about timing.
1: So basically like the easy way to start, like mm-hmm. you said,
3: mm-hmm.
1: just go support your local mom and pop shops, buy a good coffee, no big egg and cheese, something simple like that goes a long way basically. Yes,
3: it does, absolutely. Okay. Especially if that mom and pop shop, Um, I did an event out in Staten Island and I, I never, I'd never seen this before, right? The, the people in Staten Island pulled together, uh, it, was a, it was a local mom and pop shop, and they pulled together an event where they literally had vendors out front, and they did a giveaway, right? They did a community event, literally right in front of their store on a regular main street. And I've never seen that before, right? But for the average mom and pop shop, individuals may not see that happen in their communities. If you don't, it may also be coupled with, let's have a conversation about something like that maybe being possible. You know what I'm saying? Because it's one thing to just support locally, but you also have to have that conversation about how that business is going to support locally as well. Mm -hmm. So if they have resources that they need to purchase, hopefully you would prefer that they purchase those resources from another business locally. Reasonably, right? You want to make sure that if they have something that, let's say if there is an individual in a NYCHA development that creates styrofoam cups, right? If they create um, styrofoam cups, maybe they could purchase the styrofoam cups from this individual that lives in NYCHA, opposed to purchasing it somewhere else. Mm -hmm. But you need to be able to have that collective conversation, because that conversation can't just be, I'm spending my dollar here because you're here. It has to be, I'm spending my dollar here because that dollar is going to stay here longer. You get what I'm saying? So it's both Mm -hmm. parts. So it's one and the other that has to be a part of that conversation in order for you to really fight back against what will be considered that vulnerable state that then leads to the opening up of gentrification.
1: Okay. Mm.
2: Mm. now okay. my, my follow-up question would then be are there new tactics that we can think of or are there new tactics that you're trying to employ to make sure things like that are actually realized because i feel like we well i mean i know we've, we've had this conversation for centuries now ever since the end of slavery ever since the ending of slavery and the beginning of reconstruction whenever we build they tear down, whenever we build, they tear down, and it turns into this vicious cycle which leads us back to this conversation. So are there any new innovative ways to make sure that people can
3: keep the dollar in the black community as an advocate? I think that it's just a matter of encouraging growth, right? So one thing that I do is if an individual comes to me and says, hey, I wanna learn how to create this, I wanna learn how to start this, um if that individual doesn't have the expertise to be able to do that and i do i help that individual to create this and help that individual to start that so that in my opinion is educating ourselves with those loopholes that a lot of times are hidden from us and they and they sometimes are hidden in plain sight right someone the average person is not just going to walk up to you and say hey this is the way you start a business especially if they're trying to start a business right this is the way that you do your taxes especially if they're the ones that want to get paid for doing your taxes but nonetheless In that connecting people, I think one thing that we did before that we didn't do before that we now start doing in this era is that now we're able to directly connect people to the resource that they need to get that thing started that they need to get started. So Mm -hmm. back in 2000, it was 2017 2018 um, on my website, we started going black business to black business to black business. And video and and interviewing them about what they do in those black um, as a black business as a local business to benefit the community, how and what resources they provide, and how they could be a um, how they could be a resource to the community itself. Um, I think that is an additional tactic that you could use to one foster that conversation about black owned business, right? Two, those individuals also gave the tips of the trade regarding how they started their businesses all the individuals that they went to in order for them to be able to start their business, not worrying about the fact that somebody going to create a business just like it right next to me, but really genuinely feeling like if I could do this, you could do this. Mm-hmm. This is how I did it. I think um, was it just a mess had a blog and she was like, I hate it when you have a conversation with somebody and you're like, yo, you got into this industry. How do I get into it? And they're super hyper vague. Right. And it's like, yeah, you gotta work hard and you gotta, um, you know, you gotta connect with the right people. And she's like, well, who are the right people? And how hard do I need to work? Like, what's their phone number, right? <laughs> and- yeah, I hate, I hate people that speak in class. <laughs> it's one of the most agitating things yeah. you could possibly go through. And you're like, yo, help me, right? Help right. me. And they're like, you gotta work hard. You gotta stay focused.
1: <laughs> Come on, Sway. Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> so,
3: these individuals on the site though, They were like, yo, listen, talk to this group. These are the individuals you need to connect with. You need to make sure that you have this, this, that. Get a contractor. Make sure that you trust your accountant. These are the group of places where you can find accountants. So I would say in this era, what we need to do is, in addition to the preach, you also need to do the teach, right? So in the preach, it's get out there, do something. But in the teach, it's this is how you do it. These are the these this this is the framework for you to be able to build this out. These are the resources. Now, what I don't do is I don't do I don't want to do too much handholding, right? If this is yours and you have the passion for being able to make it work, I'll work with you. But I also want to be able to create that drive in you that lets you know you can only have that stake in something you built. So if an individual has that level of drive, I'll work with them and mm-hmm. do half of the research, put the rest of the ball in their hand, and let them go forward from there. Um, After leaving the city council, um, I helped a couple of individuals create nonprofit organizations that they would then use to benefit the general community. Individuals that may want to start a corporation, I helped, I researched how to do it and helped the individuals to do that. On my website, we also created the resource page that then connected individuals to grants and resources that they may be be able to use from a a for business um, standpoint. So I think those are tactics that we could use this, um, going forward or even could have, should, should have been using for a while, really, because it's one thing for you to be like, yo, get out there and go do it. But some people just don't have the, they don't have the resources. They don't have the, Mm -hmm. they don't have the expertise to do it. All they know that I know how to bake. All I know is that I know how to, um, I know how to make, I know how to make, I don't know how to make or design clothes. Right. But to Uh be able to start a business is something different. Just like what, um, what was done with the entrepreneur, extra for entrepreneurs, with the Expo for Entrepreneurs, teaching those individuals very specifically, these are resources that you could utilize. MWBE, um, MWBE certification opens you up to a whole list of options that you may not necessarily have without it. How to use that. Having that direct conversation, I think is helpful. But I think what becomes the difficulty is, and I, I, I use this term very specifically, individuals that fear the finish line. So when you fear the finish line, mm. sometimes you're like, you know what? Ew, what happens if I start this business and I fail? What happens mm-hmm. if I get into this venture and it doesn't happen? And I think that's where it comes from more of a social aspect where collectively, we could really just be a lot more encouraging of each other and put our money where our mouth is when individuals do get to that finish line. And they're now a business that we can then say, you know what, I'm gonna buy my sneakers here. I'm gonna get my haircut here. I'm gonna you know what I'm saying like, but there has to be a two prong approach to that. And I think that comes with us being able to collectively see that there's two parts to that conversation: the individual that's creating and the individuals that are supported. I know that was long-winded, but yes. that's how I would say that will be a new tactic that I would think of. That we need to preach and teach at the exact same time because you, you really can't tell them you really can't tell a person go out there and go fish and don't tell them where to buy a fishing rod, don't tell them how yeah. to navigate a boat, right. don't tell them where to fish a Absolutely, that's, that's like that's
1: like being a hermit anyway. Yeah, absolutely.
2: That's
1: exactly
3: what
2: platitudes are.
1: Right. Yeah, building a foundation. That's right. what we need to
2: exactly. do.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Yes.
0: Um. Okay. Definitely sense. Yeah. You, yeah. You hit. You hitting them in the nose, Jaha. You hitting them in the I nose. You. You do
1: auto low body shake. Bam. 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 Like, <laughs>
0: <laughs> um. All right. So I got a question from someone. So, so, um. So what if someone wants to become an advocate or support an advocate? and what are their disadvantages, their pros,
3: and their cons to consider? Okay, so, and I'm, I'm gonna say this, and I'm just gonna keep it a buck, right? Just because, like, you, you have to make the difference between supporting the cause and supporting the person. What we run into is we run into distractions. Very, 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 very easy. So the pro is that if you support an advocate, that, that cause is going to be something that's pushed forward. The con typically becomes the individual is not a perfect person. And sometimes you gotta ride that out, right? So as we see nowadays, they did that with Trump. Yeah, exactly. Right, exactly. Like it's it's a notion of like we're in a mm-hmm. we're in an environment where mm-hmm. accountability and exposure, when I say exposure, I mean exposing people is just the new norm, right? So if you got a skeleton in your closet, but you got a passion to fight for something. The pro for an individual that chooses to um, to advocate with you is that if, if that skeleton so happens to come out, the con is making that decision between do I ride with this individual knowing that the cause is great or do I separate myself because I want to keep the cause, I want to preserve the cause, but I don't want to be aligned with this person because of whatever they believe in. So that's the, co- that's the con with riding with any individual is that people are imperfect. No matter what mm-hmm. level of perfect you think an individual might be, that might be the imp- that imperfection could be the thing that makes people turn the light off on that individual. Mm-hmm. That individual is the loudest person pushing that cause, maybe even the cause. So it's a matter of deciphering, like the civil rights movement from the Martin Luther King, right?
1: Yeah.
3: The 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 individual that says, you know what, I want police accountability, but I don't necessarily love the way Al Sharpton push- pushes his message. You know what I'm saying? So it's right. like, the being able to be able to make that balance would be helpful to be able to navigate that pro and that con. When you are the advocate yourself, someone's gonna come after you. <laughs> it's gonna put that out there. like, it's 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 easy Ooh. for us to be able to understand that when you're like when they say you know more money, more problems. The more energy, the more support you gain, is the more somebody's gonna come after you because they either don't believe that you deserve that support or they don't believe that you are the best advocate because they may want to be that advocate or they may want the face to change. For whatever reason, becoming an advocate yourself opens you up to criticism, it opens you up to threats, and opens you up to a a, a microscope over your entire life. So all those things Mm. being consistent, if you yourself choose to become an advocate, you really have to have resilience. You have to have thick skin. Not everybody's going to approve of what you do. I had a conversation with somebody over doing laser tag in the park, and that back and forth was on Instagram. And that conversation was: if you're going to do laser tag in the park, what's going to stop our young people from being shot like Tamir Rice if they're seen with <sighs> these weapons in the park? That was a point. And wow. It was a great point. Yeah. To an individual that didn't see how I was doing laser tag in the park, you get what I'm saying? So the mm-hmm. laser tag in the park was done with a phone. Right? So the phone would be in your hand. And it was like a a system where the the sights and scopes were inside the phone itself. And you'd be shooting from the phone with like a little thing on the top of it. So the thing in your hand didn't look like a gun. You held it with two hands, but you hold it like you would hold a phone like like you're taking a picture of someone. Mm -hmm. And the police department was a part of the event. So all those things being consistent, it was like if you didn't see the flyer, and you didn't see how the individuals on the flyer were using the thing on the flyer to do laser tag in the park, then of course you'd have had that criticism. I just think Mm -hmm. that it was a space where nobody else criticized it as harshly as this individual did. Therefore, that had to be the thing that came up. You get what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But I had a response for that by in a sense of making the comparisons between the two issues, by saying that there were certain specific um things that came into that things that we took into consideration jahai rose doesn't want to take pictures and have videos of young people with guns in their hands in a, a predominantly black neighborhood absolutely not which is the reason why instead of using the easy laser tag um the easy the easy laser tag equipment which is a vest with a gun we decided to use that equipment because i did not want to take pictures of young people inside of any park with a gun in their hand period whether the mm-hmm. cops to be there or not you know what i'm saying but yeah, that's a pretty smart move You know what I'm saying? Like these, these things need to be very calculated. That's a good image. All those things need to be taken into consideration because at the end of it, if you're going to promote this event again, you still want some level of a wholesome image to be shown on Mm -hmm. the back end. You get what I'm saying? Even with me taking all of those things into consideration, somebody still came after me. You get what I'm saying? Um, So all those things are concerned. If, if the pros and the cons is that the pro you're doing something great for your community. Um, sometimes it can lead to creating a nonprofit organization and that could become your sole source of income and working and doing what you love is a definition of a career right so yeah. now your passion now now fuels your pocket right but they're going to come after you somebody's going to come after you somebody's not going to like what you're advocating for somebody's not going to like what you believe in some of your private life is going to seep into whatever believes whatever your public life is and somebody's going to come after you whether you whether that storm or not really depends on you and what is figured out about you but um it is difficult to be an advocate especially when you're on a grander scale and more people start to pay attention to what you're doing because then it's just more the likelihood that somebody's gonna really really try to slam you. right and sometimes if they can't get you they'll get your relatives so so all
0: right so before tc and nairon when they when they asked their questions right Touch more on, um, cause uh, 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 you know we, we got to fully get this. So touch more on when you want to be an advocate, so to support a cause. How can you handle people that are coming after you? Now, if you can, you can put the. If you watch the movie um, uh, Judah and the Black Messiah, how you know someone came after Fred Hampton and the Black Panther. Mm-hmm. Um, and how can you handle criticism so like asking these questions what can they do to handle these things as in like how can they have a thick skin too
3: so one is preparation so Mm. when in doing anything advocacy wise you take all aspects of it into consideration So an individual that comes to me and says, hey, I wanna start this nonprofit organization, I'm gonna chop it up because I'm gonna attack it the same way anybody else might attack it, right? So if you approach your own advocacy the exact same way, the thing that you're advocating for the exact same way, you should be able to prepare responses that appeared measured opposed to appearing emotional. And that's really a lot of times the difference between the two, one being prepared. So think about it like this. An individual says they want to create a nonprofit organization to serve a purpose. That purpose is a very unique purpose. But on a grander scale of things, it seems like a genuine a general purpose. Right. So let's say the thing that we mentioned about um, helping fathers to become better fathers. Right. Um, An individual might say, but there's already services out there for that. Why would you advocate for that? We need to put more energy behind the mothers than we need to put behind the fathers because the mothers are more in the children's lives than the fathers are. Okay. If you approach the thing that you're advocating for, understanding that mindset, then you'd be able to approach the individual that attacks you, that says you are wasting money on these dads. We need to focus more money on the mothers because statistically more mothers are in the home. You get what I'm saying? Because Mm -hmm. you now know in advance, the attack is coming. At some point, someone's going to say you're wasting our time. Someone's going to say you're wasting taxpayer money. Someone's going to say you're wasting volunteers money. But as long as you approach it in, I knew that was going to come up. is the reason why this is important if they're using statistics you should already have the statistics in your mind regarding what's going to be the backlash from you being able to do this so i would say anticipation and preparation for that anticipation one finding the uniqueness in what you do or finding how you support the other um the other initiatives that's already out there so let's say for the sake of argument i want to support ending gun violence right we already have organizations that end gun violence what do i do uniquely that supports the end of gun violence that maybe other organizations aren't doing and supports those other organizations. As long as you come prepared for that, then you'll one, realize that people are gonna come at you. So hopefully that'll be where your thick skin lies. Two, you'll be prepared to be able to respond to that in a way that's measured and not not emotional. But the overall goal is do not respond emotionally. Because once you start to get it, you, you never know where your emotions are gonna take you, right? So if I start responding emotionally to someone's criticism of me, I then may say things that don't sound measured, that don't sound commonsensical, that may even sound insulting, that may completely negate the person that I'm perceiving myself to be to the public. Mm -hmm. So overall, responding measured, being prepared and anticipating what level of scrutiny you're going to get for your organization would be helpful for you to be able to find that thick skin and for you to be able to respond in a way that makes sense. But always respond, though. <clears throat> well, I would say pick your battles. Some things are just not worth responding to. Um, and sometimes no response is a response. So for the most part, um, oh knowing God. when you need to just leave certain things alone, yeah, they're going to say that. Haters are going to hate. Let them talk. Um, but when it comes to something that's like really, really, really a viable criticism that you should respond to, you <clears> need <throat> to be able to discern what you need to respond to and, once again, know how to respond to it. So just be prepared. Be, definitely be prepared for it.
0: Yo, Ooh. let's go. Woo, let's Ooh. go,
3: John Rose! Huh?
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right, uh, TC and Niron. That's some deep stuff there. And like what you was telling us, it sounds like just like the presidency. Like no matter what you do, you're always going to have somebody coming after you. But it's just how you handle yourself. So one of my questions is, When you're trying to, like, advocate for, like, a cause and the community shut you down, how do you, like, retaliate back from
3: that? If, so, I think if the community isn't, so when you say the community fights back, right, because there's a couple of ways for the community to either, so for them to respond negatively. So Mm -hmm. you could have another group that's saying, nope, you got it wrong. You could literally Mm -hmm. have... Um, people just not come to your call when you say hey we need to get out and do something about this or you could have literally individual groups calling on someone else to shut you down right mm. so um, so let's say you're funded by the state you could literally have people making phone calls to local elected officials saying hey don't put money into this organization because this organization is not rocking um, if that's the level of uh, backlash you're getting then you're probably advocating for the wrong community okay you know what I'm saying? like even though this is a great initiative that doesn't mean that the great initiatives work for every every neighborhood what might be good in a Flatbush might not necessarily be good in a far rockaway what's good in harlem might necessarily be good in the south bronx you know what i'm saying so what you're fighting for might not necessarily be what's for that community and the advocate still has to be a representative of the community or issue that they are advocating for so if you're receiving a certain level of backlash then you may just need to recess regroup like like niron did with his connection he he resented. Oh, and that's in the space of you, my man, Nara. Huh? So, but, that, but that's, that's an example, right. That's that's like for you to be able to get it right. Sometimes you just need to be able to take a second look at it from a broader lens. And I say, listen uh-huh. to the criticism, right? If if they're like, "We don't want this in our neighborhood," don't bring it here. Then maybe you need to take another look at: Is this the right neighborhood to bring it to? Um, okay. And then reassess, like, and then for those individuals that are complaining about whatever it is you're advocating for, communication is the key. Have a conversation with them. Uh, a lot of times those individual groups, what they, what a lot of them look for is a sit down. They want to literally be able to hash out with you what you're doing, how you're doing it. And if there's no meeting in the middle, then you might just need to move on to another location to do that in, um, especially if the issue is location specific. Now, we're talking about a holistic issue, then it's just a matter of having conversations with those groups and finding where you can meet at in the middle. Because sometimes people literally just want to feel like they're heard, especially when you're the loudest voice in the room. You know what I'm saying? So um, if that's the case, that's two approaches. One is reassess, take another look at it, come back again differently. Maybe location might be the problem. Or two, you need to have a sit down or, or a mix of, of both. One, that conversation may enlighten you as to how you need to regroup in order to pitch whatever you're trying to pitch a better way. You know what I'm saying? But yeah. either way, communication is key, reassessment is key, research is key in that in that type of situation.
1: Okay, so it's like choosing your battles.
3: Definitely. And and how to approach that battle.
1: Okay.
2: All right. Am I wrong? Well, I find that your philosophy on individual prescience and and you know, economic stability within your own community to be reminiscent of like, Marcus Garvey and Booker T Washington. And that leads me to ask you, who are some of the people that you look to whenever, or who, who yeah, what are some of the people that you look to whenever you face issues in advocating for whatever cause it is that you wanna advocate for? Who are some of the people that inspire you?
3: Um, you mean people like, like Dead or Alive? Or like only alive, like people I like can actually have a conversation with.
2: No, no, because, you
3: know, I just speak louder than words
2: and, you know, dead people can speak louder than my people depending on what they did. Understand. So, yeah.
3: All right, so I would say, and this is, so I'm gonna say my my advocacy changed over the years, right? So mm-hmm. when I first started to advocate regarding police accountability, it was the Fred Hamptons, it was the um the, the Bobby Hutton's it was mainly the Black Panther Party or the Black Panther movement that was my framework regarding how do you advocate in neighborhoods that kind of need police in them, but also have an issue with police accountability and police brutality. So that holistic approach that the Panthers took And the approach that Martin Luther and and the, and the approach that Malcolm X took, in my opinion, was like my it, right? Like I would always go to their documentaries. I would have conversations with groups that were like-minded. Um, I've organized with groups that were like-minded as well during that time period. So during that time period, I would say those were the groups that I looked to. And that was because I wanted to find the balance between taking public safety into our own hands and also holding police officers accountable for not taking public safety um or not handling public safety correctly you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. so when it came to that it was the black panther party malcolm x um when it came to um things that were a little bit more on a, on a grassroots level it was literally like the united neighbor civic association the um local community boards the um south ozon park civic associations these organizations when i started to organize on a more local basis those organizations became the individuals that I leaned on in order to get some sense of, am I looking at this wrong? So think about it like this. I'm thinking that there's a negative land use issue happening in the neighborhood. I'm not the entire neighborhood. I need to now have a conversation, a holistic conversation with somebody else that's gonna gonna broaden my viewpoint. So just because I think it doesn't mean that it's right. What I wanna Mm -hmm. advocate is what I believe is right. So now I need to have a balanced conversation. So I may have a conversation with somebody that has an opposing view. I may have a conversation with somebody that has a neutral view. I now need somebody to challenge what I believe is right based off of a more grassroots local community standpoint. So those individual groups are groups that have conversations with a collective number of people for them to say, this is good. This is bad. This is not going to help our community. This is how this is going to harm our community. At that point, once I've made a decision, that's when I will try to try, try to put my energy towards full steam ahead. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. So that yeah. being the case, <clears throat> some of these individuals that are iconic were more for my holistic people need policing. However, police, needs to be a pro- police officers need to be appropriate. The way they do the job needs to be fair. But now when we get to advocating in an individual neighborhood, I can't do that in a vacuum. So now I have to reach out to these individuals from those, from those neighborhoods in order for me to say, if I think this is wrong, do you? And if I'm missing something, please fill me in. Because uh-huh. advocacy can't be selfish. It can't just be because I hate something, I need to get on a bullhorn and fight against it. It needs to be that this is a benefit for the community in and of itself. <clears throat> so that being the case, it really varies regarding those individuals that I lean on in order to find information um, regarding things that I should be advocating for and things that sometimes I may just need to fall back from. And it's a lot of different individuals, but to name a couple, um, Daphne, Mr. Anthony Miss um, Ms. <clears throat> Ms. Joyce Denny, um, individuals in the general community, Miss um, Arcelia Cook. Um, there are a lot of individuals in the community that I'll be like, yo, listen, did, am I missing something? And they'll they'll sometimes put me on the right track. And sometimes we may need to tussle. We'll go back and forth and argue, but at that end of that conversation, it's a better understanding of what needs to be the next step.
2: What I like is that you, you mentioned people within the community that you also look to for inspiration it shows that you know you, you just didn't go for the generic answer, which is great. It just shows that you're really into advocacy and and how it can reach the people that you're trying to affect. Thank you. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I agree. Yeah.
0: Um, I'm gonna let you guys
1: take it away. Go ahead, A- ask all your questions. Not <laughs> you Okay, like he got more. No, oh, yeah, I always
2: have questions. I'm <laughs> full of them. You look, a, you
1: look a hungry. You look nah, hungry.
0: Nah, listen, Jahai, let me, t- nah, Jahai, let me tell you something. soon as Nairon started, he was hungry. Yeah. He's hungry for questions. That's I, why I, I wanted I, to do a podcast, I, man.
1: Yeah, He's so like, let me get a number five a number seven.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, so when he came over, he wanted to come here to ask you a million mm-hmm. questions. So that's why I'm like, take it away.
3: Yeah, please do, yeah. please do. I, I I think I think I think sometimes the energy in the room messes with the Wi-Fi, right? So Naira's <laughs> is too powerful for the room again, so. <laughs> <I feel you. laughs> That kinetic energy hit different, man. Yeah, yeah.
2: You know what? That's... And I had to adjust. I had to adjust. So so my question so my question would be, what do you see yourself in 10 years in terms of advocacy?
3: Um, I hope that in 10 years, I would have mentored advocates that can now see the, the 10 years from now in their current as something that they need to fight for, right? So I think anybody that wants to be an advocate or wants to be in any type of public light for their entire life, at some point you've become selfish to the notion that time has to continue to move, right? and my way of doing things, I should take a front page and then take a back page, right? So as young people now develop themselves into individuals that are now more socially conscious because socially conscious, because nowadays anything that you wanna fight for is gonna be on, on social media. If somebody is like, I hate the fact that this is happening, that information is now easily brought to the light way easier than it was before. So there's a lot of young people nowadays that are like, you know what? I wanna fight for this how? I want to be able to say, you know what? This is an approach you might be able to take. This is a no, This this is an act that you might be able to do. This is a space that you might want to put yourself in. In order for us to be able to now, from one advocate, now have 10 advocates, 20 advocates, okay. 30 advocates. But I want to be able to, I'd rather be able to build advocates than to just be the person always behind the bullhorn, the person that always needs to speak at an event. I want to be able to see the individual of that time being a product of, continuous, passionate advocacy. And I would like to be a part of that conversation. And in terms of connecting with people outside of just your
2: local South Jamaica, Queens area, what message do you employ to make sure that the same issues that you're advocating for, you can connect with somebody, let's say all the way in East Orange, New Jersey somewhere, who's advocating for the same thing. What do you do to make sure that you can connect with those types of people, like-minded individuals?
3: Um, I would say for me is uh, paying attention, networking, um, in the sense of the good thing about Zoom is that an individual could be watching this from Uganda, right? So all those things being consistent, um, being able to connect with organizers that have already connected with individuals in different areas to be able to vi- viably spread a message, but also making sure that that conversation is very direct, right? So I one thing one thing I, I don't wanna do is mix a culture in New York City that may be different and adversarial to a culture in New Jersey or Staten or, or, um, or in, another, um, in another state. All those things being consistent, I think when we use these individual organizations that do like Zoom calls and advocate for something that's very broad in a space, once I'm like of the mindset that I wanna connect with somebody in a Jersey, I'd literally just ask them if they have Jersey contacts that they can share and just reach out, literally. Like nowadays it's just, it's literally just that easy. It's just, it's just based off of your pitch and how you, could asso- how you could associate your cause with something that Jersey needs. Because one thing that Jersey is not gonna do is that they're not, they're not gonna let somebody from another state come in and say, or any other state, right? Let's say Ohio. If Ohio has the exact same problems as New York City and the structure is to some extent the same and they need the same change, then having a conversation with somebody that has some experience in organizing may be an easy conversation to have. But that's my responsibility to do that research. You Mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? If their laws are totally different, the culture is totally different, then it's my responsibility to listen when I call them if I'm just trying to spread the change to their area. You know what I'm saying? But nonetheless, it's all about approaching that conversation with respect and being able to say, this is what I understand about Ohio, or this is what I understand about Cleveland, right? And saying, I realize these are the similarities. Maybe we could help each other. I think that's the means to be able to find that connection. And in that conversation, I think I'd be doing less talking and way more listening, especially if I'm jumping into their territory. Right.
2: So what you're essentially saying is even if two communities have similar issues, there's no way. I guess the best way for me to put it, if I if I'm living in South Jamaica, Queens, and I want to go to Ohio uh, because the people there have similar cultures and, you know, I feel at home in Ohio It's just Less, it's just less expensive to live. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you, as an advocate, get to where you expand? And when I move from South Jamaica, Queens to Ohio, I feel at home. Like I can see the the, the principles and the policies that I've grown up with, envelop and bloom in a in a completely different area.
3: Yeah, that that that's research. That's that's, that's it's research. just like. It's like, is any market research. You got to find out who's already on the ground doing that. Because I I can't imagine, like, don't get me wrong. There are some areas that just have very, very few advocates and some of the advocates are very unpopular, but Mm -hmm. it's, it's a matter, it's a matter of you being able to understand what culture you're walking into, um, pulling your ego out of it and being able to find a space where you can say, let me get in where I fit in here and see where I could, um, push this narrative here specifically, but when it comes to moving into a new environment or even being in a new environment, that conversation has to be research, 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 research first. So you're gonna to have to deal with whatever their current circumstances quietly for a little bit of time until you gain enough information about that neighborhood in order for you to be able to make a voice. Because like TC mentioned, what happens if the community just doesn't agree with your advocacy? You know what I'm saying? What if that advocacy is just not for that neighborhood? You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. you gotta find out where that advocacy may be beneficial here. If you make the parallels between where you came from and where you're at now, those parallels still need to be something that's relatable to the individuals that you're trying to pitch this to in that area, if they've never seen this level of advocacy before. You know what I'm saying? But it's all a matter of research in the neighborhood that you're in because you don't want to burn bridges before you start advocating either. You don't want to walk in like you know everything in that space because you'll get rejected solely off of that. Because mm-hmm. they'll all say, but you're not from here. You don't know anything about us. You ever had that conversation with somebody and you're like, but you don't know me to be talking to me. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah You don't want time. that
3: moving into a new environment. So it's to, the motion of getting to know someone, getting to know that area, you would treat that individual the same way you You treat that situation the same way you would treat giving an individual advice that you never met before. You gotta mm-hmm. listen to them first. You gotta find out what the cultural differences are, what the cultural similarities are, and then you need to be able to weave in what you know with what possibly may be compatible for this area. And you gotta be willing to take that criticism of this is gonna work, this is not gonna work. <clears throat> But all of that comes with just building that relationship with that neighborhood before you take the leap to to start advocating.
1: So that's right. like that's like taking vacation, but before you go to that country, you got to know what's the thing to do, what's the law, and what's the curfew time. Like that's basically what you're trying to say, right?
3: Exactly. Yes. Okay. Because cultures right. don't cultures don't always transcend. Just because we all black don't mean we all black the same. So that's <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> a fact. That's a it's fact. That's
1: a big fact. <laughs>
3: okay. <laughs> that's a fact.
0: So I I wanna, uh, I know we've been on time. So I wanna touch on just one quick thing for you to talk about. um, And I wanna touch base about advocacy of having a debate with someone, but you have those people that are very sensitive in this generation now that they'll cancel you because of, and uh, something that you said or something that, you advocate for or something. Um, so talk about more like how can you talk to those people or for our listeners, how can that person, if whatever they're advocating to support, how can they advocate for what they're called to talk to that person?
3: <clears throat> so I think in so at. In, in being an advocate, you are, in fact, a representative, right? You're representing something, you're representing some cause. Um, one thing that the average advocate is going to get chopped up for is not advocating for all causes all the time. That being the case, just because you don't advocate for a cause, whether you don't believe in it or you believe in it, but not don't have the same passion for it, that doesn't mean you shouldn't be prepared for it. It doesn't mean you shouldn't have an understanding of it. And that understanding of it also comes with the language that comes with that specific cause. <clears throat> so, before an individual wants to jump out the window, um, and when I don't know if individuals know what it means about to jump out the window, but you know, Batman, nice Superman jumps out the window, turns into Superman.
1: So, okay, because oh, honestly, back in my head, I'm just like, you want to do that? Why are we you jumping sure?
2: out window? Right? You sure?
1: <laughs> You're not going to land properly,
3: but okay. (laughs) (laughs) Out the window sounds like a bad idea, right? (laughs) Um, Before the individual chooses to, like you know, jump out the window and put on your black, put on your um, your red cape, I would say you want to make sure that you you are in fact up to the current time, right? Mm -hmm. So the language that the current time is using, the mantras, the mantra that they're using, the sensitivity that they're using, there's no way for you to be able to navigate around sensitivity. It is what it is. Your your overall goal as an advocate is never to offend. So that being the case, you do have to educate yourself with what is the current landscape, what is the current season for you to be able to make sure that you're not offending anybody. Because um, I don't know if everyone here is familiar with the term noise when it comes to doing like a presentation, but it's like I walk into a room and um, I'm supposed to be wearing all black and I walk into a room with a really bright white tie, right? Mm -hmm. Only thing people are going to see, despite what I'm saying, no matter my delivery, is that white tie because it is a black, all black event. You know what I'm saying? You don't want to create any type of noise that's going to then take away from the message because the message is always fueled by people. And the more people you lose, is the less likely you're going to be able to push that message effectively. So Mm -hmm. I would say for any individual that feels like uh, individuals are too sensitive, sometimes we all feel that way. However, it's best for you to be able to navigate that sensitivity with an understanding of why, uh, an understanding of what language you're supposed to use, what lingo you're supposed to use, how you're supposed to comport yourself because that noise could really kill a move. It, it just is what it is. So, um, in that sense, the overall goal is to comply. You, you have to comply in that moment, and that's to pander to. That's to, that's to pander to audiences that you already know are like minded. Now, if you're going to like, you know, a con- if you're going to a group that has a bunch of Confederate flags and you just need numbers and you want to make sure you use the right white power speech, that's a different conversation, right? But if Mm -hmm. you're talking to those that are marginalized and you don't agree with that marginalized groups uh, notion of being marginalized, that's not for you to assess. It really isn't. It's for you to be able to get marginalized people to come together so they can be less marginalized to the point where they're not marginalized anymore. You know what I'm saying? And typically the sensitivity comes from groups that are marginalized. (laughs) So those things being consistent, it's always a better idea to comply do your homework once again all of this boils down to research do your homework understand what groups you're talking to um and make that a way of talking going forward because you don't mm-hmm. want to be in one group like yo da, da da and then be in another group saying something contradictory and then that group hears it and then all of a sudden they they believe that they can't trust you which would be fair they can't trust you because you really don't agree with the with the um you don't you don't actually live by what you're saying mm-hmm. so in that sense you really do need to comply i, I would just say comply. Mm.
1: So study is key, basically. Yeah,
3: yeah. You, you have to make sure that you're you're. You have to make sure that in this space that you're not offending anyone as much as possible. And in that being the case, you just need to comply. However, individuals want you to um, approach. However, however, it's best to approach is going to be based off of the season and the time that you are in. You can't use the way that we approached it ten years ago or fifteen years ago in order to benefit a today problem or gather support for a today issue. You have to work with what we have now.
1: So basically mm. like get with the times, basically.
3: Yep. Level up. Okay. All right.
0: So um I have I have one more question. Uh guys, TC, Naira, how many questions do you guys have before we go? Before he's so Okay, What? What? Oh man! All right, so oh all right. So we don't know how much. Uh, all right, so Woo, you have fifteen. Okay, um, I'm kidding. I don't kidding. know how much. I think he's um, joking. <laughs> so all right, so this is what I'm gonna do. Um, I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna ask my last question, and then you guys handle it from there. Uh so how will your experience with advocacy change the way you uh, raise your children? Oh. Wow.
3: Oh. Um that's a really good question. Yeah. That's a really good question. Um Hold on, give me give me one second. Give me one second. <laughs> Yeah, um, guys. Yeah, the talk- live stream started playing again in the background, so um, I had to I had to mute it again. Oh, All right, like, oh, so man. I think because I don't have any children yet, so um, if if I was to have children, I think the sense of advocacy that I've and the approach to advocacy that advocacy that I've always taken would put me in a position to always have a teachable moment for my young person and to be able to have them see things from all points before they speak. So everyone has that conversation with their young people about, you know, think before you act, think before you say something. But I think when you've advocated for other people, you always want to make sure that you impart onto your young people how to advocate for themselves, right? And in that being the case, I know when I was raised, when I'm with it, I was raised, it was more so in that environment where young people needed to be seen and not heard, right? So, in um, that being the case, this is not the era for young people now, right? Young people, it's okay for young people to speak up for themselves. It's okay for them to talk, and it's an open environment, really, for them to be able to get whatever they be, believe is something that's not happening correctly out into out into some um ether, right? So, that being the case, I would encourage my children, the whatever I would have them or raise them in a way to be able to you know think, be tactful when you um approach a situation. Always make sure that you're respectful in the way that you approach a situation, and always know where your always know where your resources are. Your dad is a resource, right? Your mom is a resource, right? Your family is a resource, right? Um, where your resources lie in a physical building, in a in a space where you're making money, with the friends that you have, understand where your resources lie. So, I think in my last year of high school, when I went into my when I went into the alternative school, they said the thing that they taught me was thinking critically. Your mind has to always criticize everything that's happening to see if the right thing is happening. And that's where my critical thinking comes in. And that's one of the things I would impart onto my children. That might be, I might open up a window because they might debate with me all the time about nap time and going, you know, uh, the certain types of discipline or whatever. But nonetheless, you can't suppress advocacy in your own home and then expect your young people to feel comfortable advocating out on the street. Mm-hmm. So I think another part that that's going to raise in my own household would be a, a, a open environment. Well, I'm probably gonna get G checked a lot by my own children, but I just got. I'm at eat. <laughs> it, is <what> it, is. <laughs> it is what it is. But um, I would say that'll be um something that I think I would learn the most from this sense of advocacy mm-hmm. is that in one it needs to be imparted, and that you do need to look at things holistically. Um, and when you look at them holistically, and you've done the you've you've verified what's right, what's wrong, you found that middle ground, then attacking it in a way that's tactful, respectful, and trying to get your point across in the most effective way possible.
0: All right, guys. TC, now wrong.
2: Take it away. Go ahead, TC. You take the first one.
1: All I really got to say is just everything you're saying at the end of the day, it just comes down to studying, knowing who you're speaking for and learning to choose who you're going to fight for, basically. Because I, I see also it's kind of hard to escape, like escape the sensitive people because at the end of the day, you gonna encourage some people and you offend some people. So I see that either way, it's a win-win, lose-lose. So, yeah. Okay, Naira. Uh,
2: in terms of literature, what would you recommend for people that want to understand your values, that want to understand who you are as an advocate? What would you recommend them Read what would you recommend them to read, um, in order to get a better grasp of who you are? Mm.
3: <clears throat> um, I read and had a great time reading The Greatest, the Muhammad Ali story, mm-hmm.
1: okay.
3: Um, Up From Slavery, Booker T. Washington, and the both of the obama's books okay i'll say barack obama's book and michelle obama's books um from each of those and i also read revolutionary suicide but i I read a portion of revolutionary suicide but couldn't finish all of it um all Mm -hmm. of these individual books gave a sense of passion and purpose to a passion purpose and critical thinking that an individual should take into consideration when they're getting into what they're getting into now one of the things I learned very specifically from *Up from Slavery* was how to find thick skin. Um, when Booker T. and W.E.B. Du Bois had their back and forth, both made amazing arguments for why they approached uh, black empowerment the way that they did. Right? W.E.B. Mm-hmm. Du Bois was like, "We need to be intellectuals," and Booker T. was like, "Yeah, but we need to build schools and we need to build stuff. Like, we need to we need to be at this part of this um this part of the spectrum." And between the two, it was like understanding that this what works for this area doesn't necessarily work for this area because the two areas weren't necessarily impacted the exact same way you get what I'm saying mm-hmm. so with those two things being the conversation it made it a lot easier for me to be able to see that people are gonna people are gonna find fault with what you have to do even if you believe that your cause is super genuine the thing that you have to find out is is the criticism valid and is that valid criticism for your specific cause in the area and in the space that you are in so just to give an example um that was just to give an example of how that specific back and forth in my opinion thickened my skin because i knew it was coming and through individual times you notice that it just those things repeat themselves right mm-hmm. so for every martin you got a malcolm for every um rainbow coalition you have a national action network For every, you know what i'm saying like these things consistently are going to arise and if you don't anticipate that these things are going to are going to happen based off of geographical differences or socioeconomic differences, then you probably are gonna fall short in the sense of being an advocate because the first two Twitter posts that says your advocacy is trash, you probably gonna respond like your mama. So all those things being consistent (laughs) is a bad idea. It just just is what it is, right? So, um, and I would say books like The Greatest and Michelle Obama and Barack Obama's books gave you a sense of a notion of progression So where you start doesn't necessarily mean that that's the only space that you're in. And as you elevate, you have to understand how things need to elevate with you. So if I only read one book, only researched one way when I was doing this type of advocacy, I have to realize that the more in-depth I get into advocacy, I need to expand my horizon. And both books definitely show you that. And it also shows you a sense of you don't need to start with a million bucks in order for you to be able to make something great. You know what I'm saying? So right. those things being consistent, um, all of those books gave little pieces here and there to me regarding how to be a holistic advocate for things that I believe in, and to be able to scrutinize the things that I believe in before I get on a bullhorn.
2: So okay. if they read, so if they read, what were the books again? It was
3: Up from Slavery. Up from Slavery. The Greatest. The Greatest. And Michelle Obama's book Becoming. Okay. And Barack Obama's book, uh, The Audacity of Hope. So, if they read those books, they'd have a better idea of who Jalil uh, Jahai Rose is and yes. what he stands for. Yes. And also, I'm right. sorry, and also Revolutionary Suicide.
1: Okay. I heard right. of that book.
3: Yeah, that was Huey P. Newton's book before he passed away. Okay. never have read any of his work. I should,
1: though. Okay. Hmm.
2: Um, I guess my final question, because I know time is pressing, and and even though I really do have 15, I'm just going to condense it. Um, I know that- that, That's that's It's completely up to Jahai Rose. Oh, okay. Well, my question is, I know you're a big advocate specifically for South Jamaica Queens, Um, but if you did decide to move, do you feel that you're completely tethered to South Jamaica Queens, like you can never leave? Or if you do decide to leave, how do you bring what you learned
3: in terms of advocacy here into a new environment? Um, I would say my, my first what's name would be just connecting. So there, there's a couple of things holistically that I wanna see for every neighborhood, right? One of the things I mentioned was economic growth, right? I, I do wanna see an end to community violence. Um, I do wanna see an end to community crime, right? I want to communities to be viable. So I would say if I picked my poison, right? Let's say I wanted to do, I wanted to help with reducing crime in an individual neighborhood. That's me just having a conversation with that local organization that's already doing that. Letting them know that I'm not, I'm not here trying to you know, reinvent the wheel and being a resource to, that, to those individuals until you learn enough for them to feel comfortable with you being able to speak on your own. So if you think about the progression of Malcolm X, right? <clears throat> what was Malcolm X first move when he came out of prison? He had to go meet with the nation, right? You have that conversation with the nation, you let them put faith in you regarding, you know, what is going to be like, how can I be of service? How can I be helpful? Um, Then from that, how can I be helpful? If they see that you are, that you have that passion, you have that space, then they will elevate you. But trying to do that yourself becomes a problem because then it becomes, well, you're doing what we're doing, right? So Mm -hmm. I would say getting in in that moment where you fit in. So I have been from... My advocacy in Southeast Queens, I've worked with organizations in the Bronx, organizations in Harlem, organizations in Brooklyn, and in my new job capacity, I've worked with organizations in Staten Island. Everybody is looking for help from somebody. It just mm-hmm. is what it is. And that's because of that inertia that I mentioned earlier, in the sense of one thing that organizations have, even if they have money, like if they have funding sources coming from wherever... If you're not paying individuals on the ground to do some of this work, it's really difficult to pull people out to do it. So volunteerism is something that they really heavily rely on. So if you're coming to an individual saying, hey, listen, I got my own bread, I don't need you to pay me. I just wanna be helpful, what do you need from me? A lot of times mm-hmm. they'll embrace you. And if they see something special in you, they'll say, you know what, this next press conference that we do, can you lead it? Can you write the next speech Ooh. that's gonna be done for the, next, um, for the next event? Let them oh. propel you to be that front-facing advocate. But when you change your environment that's something different so from a east from a from us from a southeast queens perspective all of this notoriety came from two things one in york college i was i I started a a a student organization and a lot of and some people saw the work of that student organization and then they chose to put me out front for certain things um it came from me participating in protest i participated in the sean bell protest And I got a phone call from one of the organizers, because I actually criticized their, um, the way that they did their protest in the Mm. local school paper and they said let's talk, what could we do better in the next protest, you know what I'm saying, so, but I had to participate in order for me to be able to get involved in that conversation, you know what I'm saying, so all those things to say that when you move into a new environment, volunteer take part with that um take part with the groups that are already on the ground doing what you like to see done and if you don't see anything done still volunteer still be a part ask questions and that'll let you know exactly where you fit in so are you tethered to
2: Southeast Queens or are you gonna stay here till you die or do you have any plans to leave on the horizon?
3: <laughs> <laughs> Not really I don't I don't have any specific plan to be anywhere besides Southeast Queens as long as Southeast Queens is a place that I can afford to live in. Okay. Right? And that, that becomes a problem with like that. what we talked about gentrification, right? So yeah, um, if, if Southeast absolutely. Queens mm-hmm. becomes a place that I cannot afford to, to live in because of, you know, high prices of everything, then Jai Rose will have to, um, to move to somewhere where Truth it's economically viable. <laughs> mm-hmm. But if we collectively could work together to keep price is low and keep the culture and integrity of southeast queens what it is then i can't see any reason why i would leave
1: okay Beautiful. makes sense mm-hmm.
2: okay Thanks. and if and if one of the um and if the youth want to connect with you and um, work with you how would they be able to do that how would they be able to reach you so i can, so I can take
0: so mm-hmm. you might okay so, so i'll just put your social
3: media information also
1: yeah we, we could put it in the link also
3: yeah you can reach out to facebook yeah. instagram yeah. Um, either of the two, and then I left my phone number and email address. So e- either one is fine. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Well, I, I think I think that's it for my
2: question. I
0: think I'm done. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <All> right, <laughs> I think so... I'm done. <laughs> All right, Jai Rose. Any final thoughts?
3: Um, you know, it, it sometimes it seems cliche and uh we don't we sometimes we take old sayings for granted, but Um, I I do live off of the notion of being the change that you choose to see. So um, if you want to see a certain amount of improvement in your neighborhood, if you want to see a certain level of growth in your neighborhood, you you have to get involved. Somebody said that to me when I uh, first started working with community groups and it, it stuck with me, but it became a notion of how. And I think with conversations like this and other individuals that you're bringing onto the show, to be able to show the how, the notion is just reception so for the average individual that hears this information um use it it. use it um be a part of that solution and get in where you fit in don't commit to more than what you can actually do assess your own situation to make sure that you could be in that situation consistently to find benefit to find growth but always think collectively thinking individually is what got us into this mess in the first place um divide conquer divided we you know, divide, uh, the, the divided we uh, fall, united we stand. All those statements mean something. And in them meaning something, that means that we are more um, vulnerable, separate, period. Mm-hmm. It is what it is. And mm-hmm. in that being the case, I think my overall message to anybody that wants to be an advocate or live inside of your community until, you know, the day the Lord chooses to take us is the more collective we can work in a sense of making our community a better place, is the safer it'll be, It'll be the more viable, and the quality of li- the quality of life could definitely increase. But we have to be a part of that change.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm.
3: Go.
0: Let's Ooh. go. Everyone, Jaha Rose, y'all, yo, yo. Uh. <laughs> Thank you so much, uh, Rose. Yeah, that's episode that nineteen, gem. y'all. Mm-hmm. Facts. That was definitely a gem. Yeah, yeah. I-, I hope. I hope you know, we got something from this. And when they get something from this, now they're like, all right, now I'm ready to apply to this.
1: Yes. I'm ready.
2: I learned I can't use my laptop for Zoom calls. That's what I learned.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's a big fact Uh, (laughs) (laughs) there.
2: Man.
1: Um, Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so
2: much.
3: Thank you, Mr. Rose. It was great speaking to you all. I had a blast.
1: Same, same here.
0: Same, definitely. Well, um, that's pretty much it for this Mm -hmm. episode. So, episode 19, y'all. Later,
2: there you ya.